This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Kautzman and at Brad Kelly. Another rockin' episode of the podcast about the dark side of creatives, art of darkness. I'm Kevin Kautzman, and I'm joined by the singular Brad Kelly. How are you, Brad? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Brad, <laughs> love, love will tear us apart again. Uh, oh. Love, love will tear us apart again. Yeah, indeed. Uh, <laughs> Boy, I have been uh, immersed uh, this past week in the work of English playwright Sarah Kane. She is our subject uh, today. And, um, well, again, this is a podcast about the dark side of creatives. We're not going to have any trouble finding that. <laughs> okay, this is, this is a gimme. <laughs> this is a layup. Uh, I'll do respe- respect. This is very recent memory. She's mm-hmm. a major playwright. Yeah. Uh, I would count her as an influence myself. I feel uh, a certain um, radiation from her and her legacy. Uh, I have slight personal connections. Uh, the Royal Court was really formative in my own life as a playwright. I'm very familiar with the theater upstairs uh, where where her first play debuted and changed uh, the English stage forever uh, and uh, where she would would take her life is in fact where it was the very reason I was over in England for that year. My my first wife was getting her master's degree at the very teaching hospital where where Sarah would would enter life. So there was this specter. Um, but this isn't about me. This is about mm-hmm. um, Sarah Kane and her work. And I, I again, I want to preface preface this by saying, we're this is not Oscar Wilde. Uh, this is not um, somebody a little further back in time. This is somebody who's pretty near to us um, and has it still has living relations and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. So I I am endeavoring to do this out of a, a spirit of um, real curiosity and i certainly am hoping that i that i get it right um right. this up ep- this episode is going to focus principally on the work uh and well i guess let's start with the typical art of darkness question brad what do you know about sarah kane i, I don't know a whole lot other than uh you know i do on the twitter i will a couple times a week uh, I will do like a one tweet episode and just a p- few pictures of an artist and a description. So I had stumbled across her and, and sort of read her Wikipedia and, and kind of realized and not being all that close to the theater. Um, I hadn't ever heard of her, honestly, and was sort of 
realized I had uncovered something uh, uh, a little bit seismic in the theater world that I hadn't been aware of. You're not pronouncing so, it properly. It's the theater. The theater. No, see, that's <laughs> the whole, no, it's not the theater. No, it's not. no you're right. And, and yeah. uh, Sarah Kane, there's nobody bigger in uh, contemporary theater uh, from, I guess, the post-war, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that might cr- have curtailed her impact was the brevity of her of her life. But despite mm-hmm. this, um, her she has had this incredibly outsized uh, influence on on the theater, and that's what we're going to to dig into. It's also sort of again my like my spiritual home in terms of theater is in this new writing milieu uh, in the UK. To be to be frank, and um, and it's and it's effect, and so this is a very personal episode for me, um, and hopefully I can I can do it justice. If I had to um, again press the question, what do you know about her? I just know that she was a uh, an English playwright. She has her plays had a bit of a reputation for. Um, sort of like violence is my understanding oh, like you would have oh like, yes oh yeah. indeed yeah. yeah yeah now you mentioned you mentioned the twitter account uh, which yeah. is at art of dark pod and right. we're, we're, we do a patreon as well as well that's at patreon.com slash art of dark pod each uh, episode like this gets an a bonus episode for the patreon subscribers which includes an extra dark story and the uh, the story or the theme that we're going to do on today's Patreon episode, um, after the the main episode here, um, is going to have to do with violence uh-huh, and her okay. her opinion of of violence um, in terms of representation in this in the stage. Oh yes, very yeah. violent, ultra violent, right? Cannibalism, incest, wow. mutilation, yeah. torture body horror i don't right. this will not be a uh family friendly episode of art okay. of darkness however i am going <laughs> to begin because i was doing a search recently uh you know in preparation for the show i'm going to begin with what i thought and what i like to think maybe she would think is funny uh something mm-hmm. i found um before i do um, I want to say the reason I started with the love, love will tear us apart. She really in, liked Joy Division. Oh, that sounds, <laughs> yeah. that seems right to me. Yeah. She's, she is a quintessential Gen Xer. Uh, okay. We'll see because we're, she was born in the, in the seventies. I think if you frame it that way, if you think about her now, she would have resented sort of being, and she did actively resent being compared to Tarantino, but hmm if you kind of are placing her in time as an American, you mm-hmm. can kind of place her into that mid nineties vibe. Um, Cause that's, that's when her career really, really kicked off. But the thing that I think is funny is that I went looking for, um, uh, I went looking for Sarah Kane uh, uh, online and I found uh, this kids search encyclopedia. Uh, oh, K- always a good source. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is well. We're we're very serious historians on art of darkness. Uh, kids search with a Z. Kids. <laughs> and here's the here's the entire kids search entry for Sarah Kane. Uh, she was born on the third of February of 1971 uh, and died uh, on the 20th of February in 1999. Uh, she only lived to be 28. She just. Um, got to be 28 years old. Whoa. Uh, yeah. She was an English playwright. Uh, 
Her writings, again, this is kidsearch.com. Uh, <laughs> her writings dealt with the themes of desire, pain, love, torture, and death. Now, that's very true. Uh, the, if, if there was an earth theme that kind of comes out in her work, it is the, in a sense, the impossibility of love or, or the possibility of love under the most extreme and stressful circumstances and the cruelty of man to man, of humanity to itself. Um, and how we, um, we don't dare to confront it. Um, but getting back to, to Kid Search, Pain, Love, Torture, and Death, her five plays are Blasted, Fedra's Love, Cleansed, Crave, and 448 Psychosis. So a career span, spanning from 1995 with Blasted upstairs at the Royal Court Theater um, to 448 Psychosis in the year 2000, which was staged um, after her death. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, in 1995, she wrote a screenplay, which you can find this movie, and it's actually um, uh, Spud from, uh, from Trainspotting plays the protagonist, I guess you call him the protagonist. Um, it's a short movie called Skin. You can find it on YouTube. It's like a short BBC film. That's about, um, well, we'll come to it. Um, she wrote a couple of newspaper articles for The Guardian as well. So going on with Kid Search here. Kane was born in Brentwood, Essex. She was raised by evangelical parents. A Christian in her early life, Kane later became an atheist. She was a lesbian. Kane was depressed for years during her life. On the 20th of February, 1999, she killed herself at King's College Hospital in Camberwell, London, by hanging herself with her shoelaces. She was 28. She had earlier been taken to the same hospital after overdosing on prescription drugs on the 17th of February. Oh, kid search. <laughs> kid search. Jeez. Oh boy. Well, uh, yeah. So we're, this is a, I think, how do you say this on art of darkness? We're going for big air on this episode. I guess so. Yeah. 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 We're going to go, go home. Go big or go home. So we're really going to get into it here. I'm going I'm to close my window. I realized I left my window open. I'm a perfectionist here. So uh, vamp, Brad. For yeah, one second. yeah. So 28 years. I mean, you got to think about 28 years old and having written any one piece of work that is respectable at all is impressive. Uh, you know, to, so to, to leave a legacy at 28, there's a lot of, I guess, musicians who accomplished that, but it's pretty yeah. rare for a writer to have done really anything at 28, I would say. Absolutely. And I think I can uh, ramp off that and say her work is uh, very informed by literature, um, T.S. Eliot, poetry. She was recognized uh, as a poet. Uh, by the time you know she had she had taken her own life, like a poet of the stage, I believe. I think Pinter referred to her um, that way, the soul of a poet. And one thing that we're going to see as we go through these works, and this is going to be the structure of this episode, we're going to go from each of the major. Well, all the all our plays were major. Uh, we're going to go through each of the plays. Um, and you can sort of see as you go along until you arrive at 448 Psychosis, her work. Um, I don't want to say disintegrates, but she progressively interrogated the form of the theater so that 
And she never really wrote what you would call a well-made play, right? Uh, right Hero right. confronts a challenge. Hero is changed by the challenge. Hero dies tragically or doesn't, and there's a wedding and the play ends and everyone right. goes home. Right. That was not her um, modus operandi. Sure. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's really, you know, sort of start at the beginning here. So uh, she was born, like I said, in 1971, Let's put her, let's put her in, um, you know, place and time. She was born in Brentwood, Essex. Um, it's in the east of England. It is within the London commuter belt. So it's sort of 20 miles east, northeast of Charing Cross. So it's, it's London adjacent, right? Okay. It's in that, the London vortex. Uh, right. And she was a London playwright for sure. Um, raised by evangel- evangelical parents, uh, I believe both of her parents were um, journalists, and this would come into play um, in terms of her first play, uh, "Blasted," uh, which the the I don't want to say protagonist. Well, protagonist. One of the one of the three characters is a tabloid journalist in the in the first okay. play, "Blasted," um, and so yeah, 1971, she. Uh, went to Shenfield High School, studied drama at Bristol University, graduating in 92, uh, and then went on to take an MA, a master's course in playwriting at uh, the University of Birmingham, which a playwright by the name of David Edgar um, led. He led that program. And he's, he's yeah. a, a no slouch himself. Oh, he's probably um, still around. I believe he is, yeah, yeah. age 73. Yeah, yeah he, he has his own uh, very sturdy Wikipedia profile here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole playwriting world over there is a completely different animal. It's, um, it's pretty muscular, I'm <laughs> to sure. say that. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. don't, yeah, they, they don't fool around. Um, so let's see here. She attributed uh, Jeremy Weller's mad as the one piece of theater that changed her life. So I want to devote a little time to that play um, as we're sort of uh, getting into her, her formative time. So oh, I can, I can feel it even in her, in her titles. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm looking at this now, you know, uh, there's a, an article in the independent here uh, when you look up this play and it's culture theater, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Siobhan Dolan talks to Jeremy Weller about his new play, Mad, in which women who have suffered from mental illness recreate scenes from their past. Well, um, okay. Wait, yeah. so the actual actresses are recreating well, from their past? Or well, within uh, the frame of the story? I, I assume that's within the frame of the story. Okay. Uh, yeah, although, yeah. I mean, you probably you wouldn't have a hard time casting that, I don't think. Um, <laughs> so I'm just quoting this article. In Mad, eight women who have suffered. So we're we're trying to get into uh, Sarah Kane's formative experience here, right? She she cited Beckett as a as a uh, as an influence who was who in modern playwriting is an influence by Beckett. She acted in a check in at least one Chekhov play. She was a person of the theater. There's there's just no question. Um, that that's something that I have to have to stress um, clearly. I mean, she studied drama. She went on to you know focus on it. So. Um, but in this, this play, Mad, eight women who have suffered from some sort of mental illness, including depression and the effects of child abuse and anorexia, recreate scenes from their past in the context of an audition. Uh, so they call this controversial, 
controversial harrowing. So she was meta, clearly super meta. Yeah, meta and uh, difficult. And this is this is the kind of theater. This is the milieu that um, that Sarah Kane emerges from, uh, and and goes on to sort of be become one of the shining lights of what they call the in your face theater is what it's called in your face, right? Where the audience is not here to have uh, to look at pretty people and to be distracted for an hour and a half. The audience is here to be truly to be challenged and to be you know thrown through an ex- through an experience that um is uh, unexpected and uh, visceral visceral um the one yeah this isn't mm, like date night this isn't uh date no. night we're going to go see uh, yeah. <laughs> right we're going to go see cleansed uh, <laughs> right. for for a date night no this is genuinely challenging theater yeah. um if I were to compare it to maybe to like a painter you would maybe say we're thinking of like Francis Bacon Right. Uh, these are, these are challenging, but, and yet I don't want to, um, overstate that end of things because these plays are, are also very, there's a humor. There's okay. a lot of, um, dark, dark yeah. humor. Sure. Uh, and, uh, the, these plays are highly dramatic, very loaded. Um, and as they progress they're they have a quality of, um, mystery and openness to them so that, uh, a German company could produce them and it's almost like an entirely different production. And she was very, very, she was to be very, very famous in Germany to the point where um, they, they, I think they, they darkened the theaters um, and had a a minute of silence for her in Germany. So she was wildly popular in her own lifetime um, to a degree that uh, certainly certainly this playwright has never never experienced, you know, she, she really broke through, Um, but we'll get to it. So this, so this play mad really influenced her. Um, And uh, you know, so she's, she's a student, she's really, really in the theater Um, and her, I want to, I, uh, I'm going to be relying on a, on a text here from Graham Saunders or Graham Saunders. I, was, they always used to give me a hard time at how I pr- I'd pronounce Craig. They'd go, Craig. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 Craig. They, they always gave Craig. me a hard time. Craig, Craig. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I yeah, have, you get a very American accent. So being I, over there. Sure. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Right. The accent, and then also for Amer- Americans tend to think in f- in terms of film before theater, and that that was also very obvious right. to me. Um, but I have this book, and it's called Kane, um, and it's in her own words. So it's an awful lot of her that we're going to hear from, which I think is ideal. Um, this is a a, a young uh, lesbian woman in England from an evangelical Christian background. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's, it's when possible, I think it's best to sort of get it into her, her own words. So this is her on the, um, the master's in playwriting program at, at Birmingham. Uh, I started by being an actor, which by the way, is a pretty good way to start. If you, if you want to write plays, act first. Um, I went to Bristol university that and makes studied. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. If you want to compose, you probably need to know how to play the piano. Um, I went to Bristol University and studied drama. After a few productions, I decided I did not like acting very much, so I became a director. Then, as a director, I needed plays and decided to write my own. I do not remember why I did it, but I decided to apply for an MA in playwriting in Birmingham. That's so funny. (laughs) Why? I don't know why I did it, but here I am. Um, I got funding, 
And that was the only reason I went really because I needed the money. I didn't actually finish the course. Uh, when I was there, I wrote the first half of Blasted and then I moved to London. The course itself was very academic. I did not think that was very useful. I did not go to most of the lectures because I felt that they were inhibiting my writing. Uh, living in Birmingham for a year helped me more as an artist by just making me feel miserable. <laughs> I was living in a city that I simply hated. The only thing it really gave me was that I decided I wanted to write plays set in a very large industrial city, which was extremely unpleasant. That is what I did, and it became blasted. In some respects, Birmingham helped, Birmingham helped me, but at the same time, you could say that it, uh, that it simply uh, where I was in my life. That is simply where I was in my life. Um, so she's, she's in Birmingham. She hates it. She's miserable. She has written a few monologues, just which are kind of, they're considered juvenilia, right? Very early monologues. Mm -hmm. One of them deals explicitly with sort of lesbian themes, but she's written the first act of um, Blasted, which was the play to receive that would receive the, um, the extreme reaction um, that she would receive. Now there's a, her, her agent, um, her agent's name escapes me right, right now, but her agent went to this showcase where, you know, they did the first half of blasted or the first act of blasted. Um, and, uh, apparently Sarah after this, and we're talking about a very young woman here, um, yeah. was quite, yes. so how old would she be? Is she 22? Early twenties, 21, yeah. 22. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think blasted, she wrote it when she was 23. So around that time, um, yeah. apparently Sarah was a little difficult after the, like after the, it was read or presented rather. Um, but then the next day she had calmed down. So the agent uh, said, okay, maybe I can deal with this writer. And, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> they, they opened the doors to get her, to get her, um, you know, to come to London. Um, wow. Yeah. So we have this, and it's hard to overstate how great a play blasted is. Um, are you familiar at all with it? No, no I, I, I think I up, I was looking for some video and uh, to upload on the Twitter and I saw like a minute and then I was like, I don't even want to spoil this for myself, you know, being unfamiliar. Yeah. I just want to go in totally unfamiliar. So oh, I, man. I, don't, I don't know anything about it. Oh, it's tremendous. And as a piece of writing as well, you can, obviously you can buy all of these scripts, but they're because she's so widely studied. They're also very easy to find as PDFs. It's a, it's a fun read. It, it, it really puts you into the, her, her writing is so strong and so spare. There's not a word wasted. Uh, it, it really, it's not, there's nothing like seeing a production. Uh, right. But it, worth reading. Um, so here is um, the origins of Blasted. So uh, here's what they're saying. This is not Herb, this is the book. Kane's accounts of the day she started writing Blasted vary in terms of dates, although the impetus of the siege of Sabrinka remains constant. This culminated in one of the most well-documented atrocities of the conflict, where over the summer of 1995, Serbian forces massacred an estimated 7,000 Muslim men. So hmm. there's the backdrop of that conflict uh, behind this play, and that's partly the origin of the play. So quoting Sarah, 
The day I started writing Blasted was in 1992 when Srebrenica uh, uh, Sabr- uh, was under siege. And I was getting more and more depressed having been reading about what was happening in Bosnia during the previous two years and then seeing all this footage on television. And there was a woman who looked directly at the camera who looked about 70 years old and her face was lined in gray. She was just crying her eyes out and she just looked at the camera and said, please, please help us. We don't know what to do. Please help us. And I just sat there crying, watching it. And it wasn't even so much a sense of helplessness as just seeing such extreme pain. And I don't think it was conscious, but I think I started to want to write about that pain. That was probably when I had the idea that I wanted a soldier in it. Um, yeah. <sighs> and then so going like a lot on, of artists, just sensitive. Yes. Right? A bit of a raw nerve. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's so interesting. This is this next paragraph I'm going to read because it deepens it. And then we do have um, an interview with her and we're going to listen to it a couple of times. So we'll do that after I, after I read this and then give, give some context for what happened at the premiere. Um, Actually, I'll, I'll let the clip do that. So, but I'm going to read this paragraph. I started writing blasted in March of 93. I was 22. Originally, I was writing a play about two people in a hotel room in which the older man rapes the younger woman. At some point during the first couple of weeks writing, I switched on the television. Uh, Srebrenica was under siege. I was suddenly completely disinterested in the play I was writing. What I wanted to write about was what I'd just seen on TV. It gave me a dilemma. Did I abandon my play even though I'd written one scene I thought was really good in order to move on to a subject I thought was more pressing? Slowly, it occurred to me that the play I was writing was about this. It was about violence, about rape, and it was about these things happening between people who know each other and ostensibly love each other. And that's the, that's the genius of Blasted, um, which we'll get into uh, a, a, little, a little further here as we go. Um, so let me see. I have my, uh, I've got my articles open. So we're going to we're going <laughs> to get right into Blasted. So this is her first play, and it was performed in uh, 1995 at the Royal Court Theater upstairs, which is a um, little black box theater upstairs. I, I saw a lot of theater in this theater. Um, and uh, give, us a, give me a better, uh, a, a deeper image of that. So like how many seats are we talking? Uh, for Well, it can vary depending on the nature of the production, but I believe yeah. Blasted seated, seated 65, 66 people. Oh, okay. Is and it like a black box? It is like thing? a black okay. box theater, and it's, uh, it's probably my favorite theater in the world. You, mm-hmm. you are in Sloan Square uh, in London. Uh, it's always an intimate production. There's, there's no proscenium here. Uh, you don't know what you're getting into. You may be standing the entire performance. Uh, and the things they do with the space are just tremendous. I love that intimate, um, poor feeling theater, even though it's not poor. Um, just the, the whole vibe is, uh, is cool. And uh, I, I've seen some, I saw some very wonderful plays there. It's, it's definitely um, kind of close to my heart. Uh, so, well, you know, we talking about the size of it. This is something that... Um, this is one of the most famous press nights of all time. So, and that's what we're going to get into here. And I'll let, I'll let Sarah herself say it. I'm going to share the link in a minute, but you have to know that uh, 
for the press night, <laughs> it was mostly journalists. They're mostly critics, which is an awful thing for, a, for any uh, production if most of the house are people there to review it critically because you're not going to have a real experience of the play. You're, you're going to have these right. professionals there uh, and they all know one another. And uh, th- there's a certain, um, I guess, critical attitude toward the work, which is maybe not as generous as what a, a I guess a, a more varied audience might bring. Um, but it's also worth noting, well, you know what? Here, I'm going to play the clip. So uh, let me send you the link here, Brad. And uh, okay. I want you to listen to mm, three or four minutes from, from the uh, second minute mark of this clip. And then okay, we'll come back. We'll do. All, right. All right. There are playwrights who get bad reviews quite consistently. Uh, I can't think of any playwright who's got quite such personal, vitriolic, hostile reviews that you have. Do you, why do you think that is? Um, because they don't know what else to say. <laughs> I honestly think that's true. If, if they don't know what to say about the work, um, they go for the writer or the director or the actors. Um, and I think what happened with Blasted, um, it's quite hard to talk about the press response to my other plays because it's inevitably so clouded by what happened with Blasted and everyone is constantly re-reviewing Blasted. I think Michael Billington must review Blasted more than any other play he's ever seen. I'm permanently reading about Blasted even now. Um, But I think what happened on um, that particular press night, um, it was a bit strange. The court had programmed the play into a dead spot. I didn't really know what to do with it. A lot of the people in the building didn't want to do it. They were a bit embarrassed about it, um, so they put it into a spot just after Christmas where no one was going to the theatre anyway, and hopefully no one would notice. Um, and it was in the theatre upstairs. And what usually happens in the theatre upstairs, which is about this size probably, um, is they have two press nights, because um, if you have one, then every single seat is full of press, and it's completely unbearable. So you have two, and then you have a slightly mixed audience on both nights. Um, because... <laughs> Because everyone was a bit haphazard at the court at that time, they failed to notice there was a major press night on at another theatre, the L Major in London, on one of those press nights. So they were all coming on the same night anyway. Um, so I was sitting at the back <coughs> with a friend, and I looked round and realised, you know, the director was somewhere near the front. Everyone else was a critic. Um, I think there were about three other women in the audience. Everyone else was a middle-aged, white, middle-class man, and most of them had sort of jackets on Um, and it was literally only at that point that I realized the main character in my play was a middle-aged male journalist um, who not only rapes his young girlfriend but that is then raped and mutilated himself and it suddenly occurred to me they were it genuinely hadn't I really thought they were gonna like it I thought this is really good I love it and then the next morning, um, there was just complete chaos. Um, my agent couldn't get up and call me, and there were apparently tabloid journalists running around the Royal Court going, where is she? She's at home in bed, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and a lot of it passed me by at the time. Um, my father's a tabloid journalist. He very kindly didn't give my address to any other tabloid journalists, um, and they never caught up with me. Um, right. So there is uh, Sarah Kane herself with uh, Dan Rebelletto. You can find this entire interview on YouTube. 
uh, and it's it's a, a very worthy listen. Uh, I think it's a great story. The reaction to the play was uh, incredible. It made her the most infamous uh, playwright in the English language, probably wow. at the time. Yeah, wow. at a, at the ripe age of twenty three. Um, Michael Billington, the most famous uh, um, critic in in the UK, very famously um, savaged it. Uh, as did as did the rest of them. I'm going to read a little bit. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I like when the critics hate it, but it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah, is good. Right. So, <laughs> uh, Cash Fury at Vilest Ever Play, The Daily Mirror. So, uh, a play branded the most disgusting ever shown in Britain is costing more than 22,000 pounds in taxpayers and charity money. Miss Kane, 23, daughter of Mirror reporter Peter Kane, said she was proud of the production. So, they have a tabloid culture over there that yeah. is unlike anything else. I mean, yeah. we don't have anything remotely like it in the U.S. Uh, yeah. So, this is this is the Daily Mirror writing about the daughter of one of its own reporters. And just <laughs> and, being uh, disgusting. Ah, oh, just yeah. awful. And you know, and here's um, uh, Michael Billington. Billington actually reviewed one reviewed my play over there at one point. Oh, nice. um, so I'm gonna I'll go easy on him. Um, he, he he said <laughs> about about Sarah's about uh, about blasted. Now this of course would all be revisited later, but um, this was the 20th of January 1995. I like the note she gave too about how they kind of sort of tried to bury the play after Christmas. <laughs> We're gonna right, hide this right, play right, upstairs right. after Christmas. It's <laughs> Maybe only, no one will notice. Right, yeah. it's only critics in the house on opening night or on on a press yeah. night rather. Um, so she said, or uh, Billington wrote, "I was simply left wondering how such naive tosh managed to scrape past the royal court's normally judicious play selection committee. The reason that the play falls apart is that there is no sense of external reality." Who exactly is meant to be fighting whom out on the streets? So full of horrors that we are reduced to bombed out indifference. This Farago. Ouch! You wake up. That's not good. Yeah, that's not this good. Is, I, I, but yeah. honestly, even in that, even if I didn't know, and I don't, you know, I don't know much about the play, having never seen a production or read it, um, I, I can already sense a a. Well, they called her sort of. They, she said that they called her naive, but that his criticism sounds naive to me right right there clearly something was missing in translation and the right. the assessment in hindsight is that she was so ahead of everyone else in her right. vision in what she was communicating that well, it well, yeah even the thing he says like it's not clear who's fighting who like i can see that being the point that yes. it's like it doesn't matter, right? You're li- right. in modernity, everybody's fighting everybody all the time. The, right? the first so it matter, and, mm-hmm. and the yeah. first, and we'll I'm, we're going to go over blasted beat by beat, or not beat by beat, but like sort of scene by scene. But the whole conceit of blasted is that midway through the play, the play itself blows up, and you leave a scene of domestic violence, uh, rape in a hotel room, and enter a war zone, and the person who committed the heinous acts in the first act uh, have similarly heinous acts visited upon them, the journalist, which I'm sure all these men saw themselves in that character too. So it probably, it was not easy. Um, uh, So the, the thesis of the play, if you must, is something to the effect of we put the war over there, but in fact, it's right here. And we just, we just don't see it. Or there's resonances 
Um, you know, there, there's a war going on in a hotel room in Leeds and there's a war going on in Bosnia. And these are the same world, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. our minds do everything to put, put them over there, put the atrocities yeah. over there. Um, so yeah, here's a, here's a, a review from the daily mail and this is Jack Tinker and she would get revenge on Tinker, uh, later in another one of her plays by naming this a horrific character after him. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, here, here he is for utterly disgusted. I was by a play which appears to know no bounds of decency yet has no message to convey by way of excuse utterly without artistic merit. <laughs> Oof. So uh, Oof. honestly, I think that's great. I mean, if you're, if you're yeah. getting reviews like that, you're, you're sticking it to them. Right. Yeah, like, for sure. I will. And the, that kind of thing is going to raise eyebrows across mm-hmm. the, re, you know, there's going to be people who are like, oh, what's this? That's going to be yeah. attractive to some people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the yeah. world premiere in 1995, <laughs> uh, directed by James McDonald, the premiere, which prompted headlines labeling the play a disgusting feast of filth. <laughs> Wonderful. Excellent. That's yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, here's, here's what happens in the play, right? Um, in the first scene, Ian, they're in a hotel room in Leeds, is a foul-mouthed middle-aged tabloid journalist. He's brought a young woman, Kate, who has a, 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 a stammer, right? She's emotionally fragile. She sucks her thumb, right? Uh, in the first scene, Ian tries to seduce her. She resists. Ian is is racist and homophobic. Uh, He's an awful character. In the second scene, is the next next morning, um, Ian engages in fraudage with Kate during one of her fits. So this is a theme in, in Sarah Kane's plays is masturbation. If you were if you were not being generous, you'd go. Oh, everybody's always masturbating in these plays. Like, what is this all about? Uh, there, there's an awful lot of masturbation happening in her plays. Quite literally, it's very striking. Um, okay, so if you were to see a production of it, say the original, uh, is that obscured in some way, or is the character like actual the actor I, actually masturbating? I, I don't. I don't imagine that they're actually doing it on stage. Okay. I I, sus- yeah. I suspect it would depend on the production, but you you have you do have decency laws. You can't be um, yeah. actually okay, giving somebody a, a blowjob on stage. Where, yeah, Kate performs yeah. oral sex on Ian, but at the end of the act, she bites him savagely. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to do this for all of the plays, but I want to walk you through Blasted just to give you an idea of what's what this play was and why in 1995 all of these plaid wearing critics uh, through a a fit. The theater used to be judicious. The theater. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, so this is where it's interesting. So Kate leaves for the bathroom and this is where a soldier enters the room with a gun. Uh, Kate has escaped and the hotel room has been struck by a a mortar bomb. Holy. Okay. Whoa. And you're in like Leeds in England and he's right. So suddenly the war is here. Right. Um, so now the hotel room is in ruins. The bomb has blasted a hole in the wall. The soldier and Ian are talking and they're in the midst of a brutal war. Suddenly uh, huh. the soldiers recounting all these horrible stories, uh, rape, torture, genocide, and um, talks about how, at one point he talks about how there's one way you can like impale somebody by sticking a pole up their rectum and 
bringing it outside the right shoulder in such a way that it doesn't kill them. Oh uh, and they die slowly, uh, possibly even by starving. And later, uh, in, I believe it's in the interview um, that, I, that I played, Sarah talks about or talked about how uh, it would always surprise her because people, people in rehearsal rooms, she would tell them where she drew this story from. And that came from the, the Bosnian-Serbian conflict right? Where mm-hmm. that had been done to, to numerous Muslims. That's how they were essentially crucified. It's a type of crucifixion in a oh way. My gosh, yeah. And she, she, she would tell her actors and her actors would um, throw a fit and be really unhappy. And she would go, well, you don't think I'm making this stuff up, right? Like, yeah. and that, that, if you want to understand Sarah Kane, that's the thing to understand. She's not just coming up with these cruelties. Uh, these are, she was drawing on real things that, that happened and she right. would bring them in to her plays. Yeah, this isn't just an indulgence of her fantasies no, or something. right, this yeah. isn't the Marquis de Sade sitting back writing about all the horrible things he wants to do. This is, this is somebody who's reading the papers and yeah. saying, oh my God, um, yeah. although she would become an atheist, like, oh my gosh, yeah. like we've got to deal with these things. Um, so yeah, so... Uh, we're in the third scene here. Um, the soldier uh, says he's done everything as an act of revenge for the murder of, of his girlfriend. Now the soldier rapes Ian. So in the first act, oh um, yeah, Ian rapes Kate. Um, and it happens between the scenes. Mm-hmm. You don't see it, but she's, it's implied that he like bit her to the point where she's bleeding. It's extremely intense. She's, she's bleeding, um, you know, from her groin, uh-huh. you know, awful. So then now Ian is raped oh. by the soldier and the soldier sucks out Ian's eyes. So he puts, he like literally oh sucks God. out Ian's eyes. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So we're really, we're really in the hurt now, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so now we're into the fourth scene. Ian lies blinded next to the soldier. The soldier's blown his brains out. <laughs> the soldier blew his own brains out? The soldier's blown his own brains out. By the way, I'm going back here to kidssearch.com. I'm trying to find more about Sarah Kane here at Kids Search. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just we'll just do the the yeah. uh, the high school production of Blasted. Right, right. It's Sarah yeah. Kane's hit new play, Blasted. Yeah. Blasted by Disney, the Disney right. adaptation of the, the hit new play. Um yeah, so yeah, so now the soldier's committed suicide. Ian is blind. Uh, Kate returns and is describing the city. Um, at one point, she suggests she's going to go get food somehow. And he asks her, how are you going to do it? And she goes, well, you know, the way that women have gotten food in wartime forever, right? Like the way that you would do it. Right. Um, uh, she returns. She has a baby. So she, Kate brings a baby back, right? The baby dies. She buries the baby in a hole in the floorboards and leaves. Uh, they argue about whether or not to pray during the burial. And in the fifth and final scene, um, oh, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll read the fifth and final scene of okay. Blasted. What do you okay. think? Yeah, you go this, for it. You into this, Brad? I am. This is intense. You know, but it does, I can see these sort of shades of Beckett in there. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, it's not a, conve- there's no conventional sort of plot progression, right? It's just like a thing happens and then a thing happens. And then, you know, it's. A, yeah. It's, yes. It, I was going to say it's an absurd situation one after the other, but it's not, absurdity isn't 
Right. Uh, it, it descends yeah. into a Beckettian uh, fever dream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to read the entire final scene um, because it's, it's quite long. Um, so, but I'm going to read from, I'm going to read the very end. So they have an exchange. Uh, this is that point where Kate says what she's going to do. She's going to go get some food, right? She's hungry. So she leaves. Now, Ian, uh, this is what happens. So Ian's masturbating. <laughs> well, as, saying the as word, one does. Saying the word cunt. And then it says, darkness, light. Ian strangling himself. Darkness, light. Ian shitting and then trying to clean it up with newspaper. Darkness, light. Ian laughing hysterically. Darkness, light. Ian having a nightmare. Darkness, light. Ian crying, huge bloody tears. He is hugging the soldier's body for comfort. Darkness, light. Ian lying very still, weak with hunger. Darkness, light. Ian tears the cross out of the ground which had been placed for the baby. Rips up the boards and lifts the baby's body out. He eats the baby. He puts the sheet the baby was wrapped in back in the hole. A beat, then he climbs in after it and lies down, head poking out of the floor. He dies with relief. It starts to rain on him, coming through the roof. Eventually, Ian, shit. Kate enters carrying some bread, a large sausage, and a bottle of gin. There is blood seeping from between her legs. Kate, you're sitting under a hole. Ian, I know. Kate, get wet. Ian, I. Kate, stupid bastard. She pulls a sheet off the bed and wraps it around her. She sits next to Ian's head. She eats her fill of the sausage and bread, then washes it down with gin. Ian listens. She feeds Ian with the remaining food. She pours gin in Ian's mouth. She finishes feeding Ian and sits apart from him, huddled for warmth. She drinks the gin. She sucks her thumb. Silence. It rains. Ian, thank you. Blackout. Oof. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Can you pick you know, up? I could have yeah. done without the swear words. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the swears are a bit much. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, just the blue hairs at the, right. the Guthrie Theater, right? They've signed right. up for their their season tickets, right? Whatever right. theater. Right. Well, you can do. imagine the critics, too, just thinking, like, I didn't get into this to sit here while this is happening. Like, <laughs> he, eats a, he eats the baby. Oh, my God. Okay. What, like... What a, what a stage direction. What a... Right, right, and right. And then, yeah, as a director, you got to be sitting there thinking, hmm. Like... <laughs> well, it would, get to be, it would get to be even more extreme in the other plays. Uh, there are a few other things wow. about Blasted. Yeah, so that... I really think... I encourage you to read it. I mean, you can read Blasted in, um, you know, 45 minutes, an hour. Sure, uh, yeah. But it's yeah. so you can tell from the writing... It is so mature for, for that age. I mean, no mm -hmm. condescension. It's just like, it's, it's a fully formed yeah. dramatic voice. Uh, enough to, to get a reaction right, right. from those critics like that. Um, here's, what she, here's what she said about uh, the violence in Blasted. She said, the violence in this play is completely de-glamorized. It's just presented. Take the glamor out of violence and it becomes utterly repulsive. 
Would people seriously prefer it if the violence were appealing? You'd think people would be able to tell the difference between something that's about violence and something that's violent. I don't think it's violent at all. It's quite a peaceful play. Hmm. Uh, and she went on to talk about the reviews a little bit. And I think we've got to, we do have to dwell somewhat on this because it was such a major play and such a major moment in the theater. So she said, the first previews of Blasted at the Royal Court before I had any idea of quite how extreme the reaction was going to be. We had a couple of people walk out and it didn't surprise me. This was a big deal too, because this is, this is a theater where I think I described it well enough earlier. If you're walking out, you're walking out. This is not like right, yeah, ducking out the, the mm, actors know. Yeah, everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, you know, honestly, as, as for as silly and naive as I think the critics are, like, I am also not surprised that people walked out. I mean, mm. yeah, mm. I could, I could definitely see that happening. I mean, people walk out on stand-up comedians, you know. It's oh, like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I have more things from her that I want to read. I've got something on the baby eating scene here. Uh, I got to... Just reading that, I got to tell you, there's, it does kind of get your heart racing. There's, you know, something's going on. Oh yeah. It's intense. Yeah. 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 It's intense. Yeah. For sure. Um, let me see here. Yeah. So the baby yeah. eating scene here, here she is on the baby, baby eating scene. So you got to imagine like this young lesbian tw- in her early twenties, chain smoking, listening to Joy Division. And she's just put on this play that's completely upturned the establishment. Uh, but she's also... A woman of the theater. She's a so she's not. They read her as oh, this is somebody with daddy issues, which she probably had them. But this is somebody with with daddy issues trying to push our buttons. And here's what she has to say about this. A lot of people said to me when they read the scene before it was performed that they weren't sure about the baby eating scene. Can you imagine these conversations, Sarah? Right. Let's talk about the baby eating. Uh, I kept looking at the scene and thinking, is it gratuitous? What does gratuitous mean anyway? <laughs> well, being a baby is kind of on the line. Yeah. 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 I, I, that might be a show title, this, The Gratuitous Sarah Kane. Um, and does it become unbelievable? Samuel Johnson said that when Shakespeare's King Lear is read, the blinding of Gloucester is somehow more acceptable than experiencing a performance of the play. I find the opposite. Reading Blasted is much harder work than watching it because when you read it, the stage directions say he eats the baby. When you see the actual play, Ian's clearly not eating the baby. It's absolutely obvious. This is a theatrical image. So in a way, it's more demanding because it throws you back on your own imagination, but somehow it's more realistic because you simply get the act. Um, because she's saying that when you stage it, there's there's no way you're going to make it look realistically like someone's eating a baby. Precisely. Right? Yeah. And of course, you sort of know mime. that. Well, it's like you said, nobody's actually, you know, giving a blowjob on stage. Right. 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 Uh, right. So and that's that's a level of intelligence that and maturity and thinking about the theater that is beyond most people at that age. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. yeah, she's she's talking about Samuel Johnson and Shakespeare. Uh, she's she's in and of the theater. And um, I think that's one of the reasons she was able to upset it so much. Um, let me see here. So we're we're still dwelling in blasted blasted and the um, the sort of reaction. So let's see here. Uh, 
Well, I want to read these as <laughs> what I'm going to do is we have the five plays to go through. We're not going to go through every play with that level of detail, but there's a section in this book on the perceived bleakness of her work. <laughs> and there, there are five paragraphs. So I'm going to read one of each of those at the very end both, okay. uh, for each, yeah. for each play. Um, okay. I've got a few more things about blast that I want to get to. Um, here is the artistic director from the Royal Court at the time, Ian Rickson. So this on, is the guy who directed it? Or? This is the artistic director of the theater. Oh, the so this program. would have been the yeah. guy who yeah, programmed and uh, would have sort of been uh, held held ultimately responsible for this, right. uh, yeah, this Why, he should crime have been, of the theater. Yeah, he was the one who was not judicious. <laughs> right. I love that yeah. word when it comes to art. Like, oh, this yeah. art is supposed to be... <laughs> We're going to gatekeep harder. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is the question is, what were your reactions to the press attention given to Blast It? Because it was, I don't know if I've communicated this enough. It, this was front page. This was Sarah Kane is a household name now <laughs> as, oh, a, as a wow. wicked um, enfant wow. tribe. Oh, yeah. This was completely outsized. So, yeah. yeah. As, just right after, immediately after press night. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. On the one hand, so this is Ian Rickson. On the one hand, you feel heartened that a small 60 seater house should have such impact. And that feels very encouraging when you worry that theater is in danger of becoming the equivalent of croquet in British sports. That is, it doesn't mean much, uh, is a bit rarefied and deeply unfashionable. To have something speak to only 57 people or however many the capacity was then, yet scorching its way onto the front pages and onto Newsnight is encouraging. Playwriting suddenly has vitality. But I think at the same time, we felt very under threat. We felt terrible for Sarah, who felt hunted and not understood, which was upsetting. But when you look at the history of the court, the royal court, um, it is always rallied when under threat, and it's often been strongest when it's against something. So the fact that it had the fortune to have this new play, was, uh, which really stirred up things, I think was a very good thing. But it wasn't pleasant at the time. There were tabloid journalists sneaking in, uh, and Sarah at the time was only 23, so it wasn't good. Um, now, uh, <laughs> I, I got to put this in... in um, place too, because this is in Sloan Square in, I think it's in Kensington or is it Kensington? Yes. I mean, it's central London. It's about as posh as it gets. So okay, you're, right. you're throwing this baby eating play into like the most desirable addresses <laughs> in the world. <laughs> like, these are people who they're not told no very often. Just in a, right. these are like the winners of history. <laughs> like, right, you like right. live and dwell in this general area. It's that's a bit of a, a simple. Well, and, and then mm. not only the baby eating, but you just you know metaphorically blowing up. You know, yes. the, the whole hotel room blowing up is yeah, Correct. yeah, no, yeah, and and there's a whole awful age gap thing uh, between Kate and Ian in that play where he's much older. It's very clear they used to be lovers. It's not clear how young she was when they used to be lovers. There's a there's right. a some awful implications there. It's like if a, a like a 25 or a 30 year age gap in the suggestion of uh, like near pedophilia yeah. uh, isn't the most grotesque and intense thing about your play. Like, right. Like, right. Right. that's right. just where we're starting. Yeah. Right? yeah. If, if Lolita, it's not a big deal. 
like right. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Very different things, right? right. But yeah. Yeah. So um, I have a second book here too. I have um, Love Me or Kill Me, uh, also by Graham Saunders. And that's a line from, uh, from one of the plays, um, one of the middle plays. I can't remember if it's Craved or Cleansed. I think it might be Cleansed. Um, uh, the, all these plays, you know, Blasted, Craved, Cleansed. Um, 448 psychosis, very cool, you know, um, kind of intense. So let me put this into context. Uh, I'm just finding it here. Some, some lovely pictures, um, of her, uh, in this book. This is by the same fellow Graham Saunders. Uh, let's see here. Um, she was very, very clearly interested in the idea of image being the language of the theater. And that's a huge trend in theater. This idea that we want to move away from dialogue driving theater. You want it to be moved mm-hmm. by, by image. Sure, uh, yeah. yeah. So let me see. I want to get this right. Let's see. Um, right. Yeah. So she, <clears throat> she really dealt with uh, the Christianity in her life. Right. So she wasn't evangel- uh, evangelical and quite passionate about it uh, as a teen, but she she rejected it. And um, so this is interesting. So there's a quote about Ian and that image at the end. Um, so she's saying there's there are this is an important thing about her work there. The work is uh, loose enough or sort of. Um, strong enough to withstand multiple interpretations, right? So these images can, can kind of mean different things. So uh, here, here she is saying, there was one thing I really liked about it because it brought out a thing that I hadn't thought when I articulated it to the director and he hadn't thought of it either. Ian saying, says earlier, God, the cunt. And then when he's masturbating, cunt, 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 cunt. It was really interesting because Pip uh, Donahue, the actor playing Ian, uh, was looking up and it looked like he was praying and it sets off all kinds of resonances about that thing about God being a cunt. And it was completely <laughs> spontaneous. None of us had planned it at all, but I thought that was where the production takes over, which is good because it should start setting up its own resonances. That's mm. all you look for as a writer. Yeah. 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 And to yeah, be, it a, starts mm-hmm. to live. It starts to live outside. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, and to be, to be that aware as a playwright. I don't doubt she, she was aware of Sam Shepard too and Buried Child. I mean, there's a very similar sure. thing in Buried Child where the, the child is revealed at the end. But she said a little more here too. Um, so this is uh, Graham writing here. This unwitting contribution to the, the debate about the existence of God and the question of life after death already set up in the play comes to a partial resolution in performance with the final image from the tableau scenes where Ian is inside the infant's grave with water dripping onto his head. Quoting Sarah, Ian is deified in a way that I didn't really realize until I saw the play performed for the first time. When I watched the blood being washed away by the rain, I saw just how Christ-like the image is, which isn't to say that Ian isn't punished. He is, of course, he dies. And he finds that the thing he has ridiculed, life after death, really does exist. So that's what happens at the very end of the play. He dies and he wakes up and he's still there. And he's, he's in right, hell. Right, right, right. And that life is, and that life is worse than where he was before. It really is hell. 
Uh, so he does end up in hell at the end of the play is the implication, right? He dies, yeah. but he's still there. And Kate's going to come back to feed him sausages and gin uh, for all eternity uh, as he's blind and in the floorboards having just eaten a baby. <laughs> right. Oh, now, yeah, right. Yeah, now you've got to live with that. And you're in a war zone. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is. It's a, it's a play about a man's descent into hell in a funny way. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is... That's that's wow yeah. Art of Darkness playing <laughs> yeah. the hits. Yes, We're right. playing the hits. Thank you, kid, Sarah Kane. Kids search. Uh, <laughs> Let's go back the, to kids, kids search. search. Let's see what kids search. They have a link for Blasted. Blasted play. Let's see. Did, did they have anything? Let me see what kids search has to say. It's with kids with the Z. Kidssearch.com. That is really really funny. It um, is. Yeah, this yeah. is one article where a, per, a parent who had you know, told their kid they could only search thing at things on kids search might say, Hey, wait, what? What is this? <laughs> um, so we're going to move on from blasted, but I'm going to read the first of the, of the five uh, statements on, on bleakness in her work, um, which she made, because you can see how, <laughs> how that might be the accusation. Let's, let's assume you even understand the play, right? You get right. it. Oh, I see what you're doing. It's still yeah. like, Jeez, yeah, you, you still yeah. might say it's bleak. I Is mean, everything all right at home? Um, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So here, here she is. Um, Probably all my characters in some way are completely romantic. I think nihilism is the most extreme form of romanticism. Uh, and that I think, and that I think is where the plays get misunderstood. I think I'm in a complete and uh, I, I think I'm a complete and utter romantic in the tradition of Keats and Wilford Owen. So she, she thought of herself as a romantic. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I, well, okay. And you can certainly see this in the plays and that I think actually serves as a nice um, dovetail into the second play, um, Phaedra's Love. Uh, but before we go there, uh, I just, I have to make a quick interlude into her one foray into, into screenwriting, which anybody can access uh, on YouTube. Just look up Sarah Kane, K-A-N-E skin. Uh, and uh, it was the second thing that she worked on. And this is one of those things where, you know, the, the, the play comes out from the Royal Court, right? It blasted. And then by September of 95, she's written an 11-minute short, uh, which Channel 4 Films produced, right? She's the hot thing. And we're going right. to make a movie. And let's see what happens, right? Right, right. So she wrote, uh, she wrote that in the summer of uh, 95. And <laughs> they debuted it on television, which is just... It's, you see it, it's hard to believe. Um, huh. Was nominated for a Golden Bear, uh, category Best Short Film, Berlin International Film Festival. It's about a skinhead, so you can see why it might resonate in Berlin. Um, the, <laughs> um, she's, uh, yeah, the original airtime uh, of 9.40 p.m. was pushed back because they were worried about the violence and the racism. Yeah. Um, yeah. At 10 o'clock, it'll be fine. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So let me see. So it's starring Ewan Bremner, who is the, um, you recognize him, I think, as Spud. Yeah. You recognize as Spud Murphy from Train Spotting. So you'll yeah, know okay. him. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he met uh, his, his uh, co-actor, Marsha Rose, who's, a, who's a, a black woman, which is the sort of the, the thrust of the whole idea, uh, they became involved and they had a child together. So that's fun. 
these act yeah these actors meet yeah. so and and the plot here is okay, that billy cool. yeah billy a young skinhead joins in a racist attack on a black wedding party in brixton then he finds himself drawn to a black woman whose flat he can see from his window mm-hmm. he visits her uh they have sex but then the power dynamic gets screwed up she slaps him feeds him dog food and this is quite intense she scrubs off his tattoos with bleach including a tattoo of the Union flag. That was really hard to watch. Yeah, um, I bet. Yeah. He, he attempts to have an, an overdose, ends up being saved. It's, it, it's dark. It's intense. I mean, is it a great short film? Eh, but is it, is it worth what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know. I mean, you know a lot of actors who, who sort of fall for each other through, you know, they meet on the set of a thing. But this one seems particular. Like, so you just had a scene where she's like scrubbing a tattoo off mm-hmm. of your body. And then afterwards, you're like, so do you want to get like a coffee let's, let's or go something? Let's make a baby. Let's go make a baby. But you, you'd, you'd be surprised, I mean, how these showmances form. You don't really know. It's You come together, it's yeah, really it's intense. Yeah, Well, it is intimate. And obviously, you know, yeah. you're, playing ro- you're playing roles. So it's not right. like, yeah. But. Right. You know, I, I did skip over a period in, in Sarah's life where she uh, was like a literary assistant at the Bush Theater in London. And that's sort of how her oh, okay. scripts got over to... Um, to the Royal court. There is a whole scene over there. There's just nothing like it. I mean, I guess the closest thing might be in New York city. Uh, but it just, there's a certain quality over there that I, that I really can't quite describe. I think it's just, there's such a vibrant theater scene in London and, uh, there's so many little theaters devoted to new writing. Um, just a, just a tremendous, uh, scene over there. So, Let's let's put ourselves in time here. So it's 1995. She's uh, she's had this play that the the critics savaged. She's a household name. Um, I believe it's at this point she became the writer in residence at Payne's Plow, which is a theater company uh, in London that helped helped her out at that point um, because it was funny. The director there, I can't recall his name, but in the reading that I did, he uh, he was saying, you know, she was a household name. She had no money. <laughs> like there right. was, how do you trade off that? Right, right. you're right. you're notorious as much as anything else. And it's yeah. not. Here's another thing about the poverty of the theater. It's not like she had dropped a hit album and was getting residuals. That yeah. play went up. That play got its reviews. Right. That play came down, and it's a bit of a circus freak show. Right. And what are you going to do next? Right. Now, now half, a, a few hundred, a few hundred people had bought tickets, maybe. Well, more than more than that, because you're doing yeah. they, that would have run for a couple of months. I assume. OK. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially after the controversy. I don't right. know how long it ran. Um, but uh, yeah. So let's let's move on to uh, Fedra's Love, which is a very interesting um, play, which I'm actually quite partial to. Um, let me just get get up what I uh so uh, Brad but you know while I'm while I'm looking for this what <laughs> what like, how did Bla- how's Blasted change it change your perception of uh, of Sarah Kane well I mean I guess it's it, we're talking about how intense and brutal and, and not just us talking but in l- the little bits that I had seen in her Wikipedia I sort of tried to imagine well what what could it actually be right like li- what is the what are the actual acts and yeah. It's even, I guess, a little further than I thought, to be honest. But, but I get it. I see, and you're 
taking us through the the beats of the play i can see what she's doing and it's 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 pretty brilliant actually so this isn't like this isn't like shock for shock's sake you know um no. yeah no. it's it's all of a piece and it, it makes mm. sense and it's it's smart and, and there's something about that blasted thing it's the line of it is so simple mm. and, and not i don't say that in a condescending way it's one of those things that's so simple it's like how did somebody not already write this in a way yeah like because it, it's right you know it's just well it, right it's it's how we see things now but right. we were not seeing things like that then right right and right. So in that way, it's, it's completely prescient and a, a, a masterpiece. Um, I may have gotten it out of order with, um, with Painsplow, but in any, in any case, the next play, Fedra's Love, it was a commission um, by the Gate Theater. And so she, they commissioned her after Blasted. They said, why don't you write a play inspired by a classic? So that's kind of fun, right? Here's this, this playwright who's just done the play right. that I described and they're like, eh, what are you going to make out of a classic Sarah Kane? Let's see. Uh, so Fedra's love uh, was loosely based right. on uh, Seneca's play Fedra, but it's put in a contemporary setting and it's a reworking of the myth of Fedra's doomed love for her stepson, Hippolytus. Uh, Hippolytus takes the central role uh, and his emotional cruelty pushes Phaedra to suicide. And this is very interesting. And this is another dramatic gesture or dramaturgical gesture that Cain makes, which, which sticks with us and which I've never forgotten. She reversed the classical tradition by showing rather than describing violent action on stage. So when you think about these classic plays, uh, Someone will walk off or, you know, uh, or come on stage and announce so-and-so has slain so-and-so and torn out the eyes of so-and-so and everyone gasps. And Kane's approach was, nope, we're going to show it. <laughs> we're we're going nice. to see this guy's eyes get sucked off. We're going to suck yeah. out. Let's, let's, we're going to see, in this case, um, what happens to Hippolytus. And she described it, and this is very funny, um, she described it as my comedy <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark um she directed it at the gate theater in 96 so you can see here it, clearly the theater has embraced her uh right. i mean you know you're gonna get a commission so let's uh the cover of this the methuen edition of this is um so cool it's got a vulture on the cover uh which mm. which you'll see sort of um what that what that means but uh let me let me read the the plot i'm just going to read you the plot of phaedra's love the play opens uh with hippolytus cleaning semen and snot with socks that are lying about his room he's watching television it's sort of a modern he's watching trash television he's described as fat and his room is in disarray shortly thereafter phaedra his stepmother is talking to a doctor about hippolytus's well-being the doctor deduces Phaedra's romantic attraction for her stepson and warns her against consummating her affection. She confides in her daughter, Strophe, who likewise warns Phaedra against pursuing an affair with Hippolytus. So we have, we've got um, 
verboten love, right? This is the love that can't be expressed, right? Right. Fedra approaches Hippolytus regardless of the warnings she has heard. Hippolytus openly speaks about his multiple sexual partners and reinforces how he doesn't care for any of them and won't care for Fedra. There's this funny thing in this play where it's clear how grotesque Hippolytus is, but he's a prince and so everybody loves him. He's super popular. (laughs) So there's this like funny politics in this. Uh, it's, it really is actually <laughs> right, quite right, comical. Right. And of course, you have to remember, again, this is the Royal Borough. Uh, I actually, I don't know where the Gate Theater is, but we're in London and they do right. have a different relationship with royalty than we do, right? And you've yeah. got to remember, this is the daughter of a tabloid journalist. So now right. she's taking on royalty and all the rest of it, right? So Fedra yeah. confesses her love for her politics, but he spurns her, telling her she will only be hurt. She fellates him. He's unresponsive, uh, but he reaches a climax. He does assert himself at the end. So again, we've got a blowjob on stage, right? We've got this act on stage. So not so this actor gets to you know show you Hippolytus having an O and sort of savage. Yeah. Okay, fun, right? Let's, yeah. let's go out for a date, honey. Let's go right. out and watch you. <laughs> During the interaction, Hippolytus informs Phaedra that he has had sex with his stepsister, Strophe, and that Strophe, Phaedra's biological daughter, has also had sex with Theseus, Phaedra's husband, and Hippolytus's father. It is later revealed that Strophe had sex with Theseus on the night Theseus and Phaedra were married. Ooh. So he's, he's yeah. watching at the beginning, he's watching like uh, crappy TV. <laughs> he's watching <laughs> uh, Days of Our li- Lives or whatever, right? So that's what yeah. this is too, right? It's yeah. very funny. Yeah. A- afterwards, Phaedra kills herself, leaving behind a note that states Hippolytus has raped her. So, mm. whoa doggy. Yeah. Uh, whilst in prison, Hippolytus speaks with a priest who eventually performs fellatio on Hippolytus. So Hippolytus is irresistible. He just keeps <laughs> getting it from the priest, from the, yeah. In the final sequence, um, well, let me see, because I think I might want to do the, <laughs> the final sequence here. <laughs> it's the final countdown. <laughs> yeah. Love, love will tear us apart again, Brad. Um, I know, right? So it's it's so intense. Yeah. Uh, There's just maybe too much of this. There's an awful lot that happens at the end. Um, But I will I will read the very end here. So where did I get to? Um, Right. So let's see. Uh, Strophe confronts Hippolytus about the accusation, but he refuses to deny or confirm the allegation though the subtext implies that he did not. So he's been unjustly accused of, of raping his stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to completely destroy the kingdom and his, his life and everything, right? Um, so again, whilst in prison, Hippolytus speaks with the priest. Um, he, he, the priest does the act on him. Now, in the final sequence, Theseus has returned home and disguises himself in a crowd. Strophe, unbeknownst to Theseus, has done the same. She publicly defends Hippolytus, and Theseus responds by raping and killing her. Jeez. Um, his own daughter. So we are, we're going hard at, well, let's do an adaptation of the classics. How do we update right. this for a modern audience, right? right? The enraged mob rips Hippolytus limb from limb, and his father disembowels him. So yeah, let's read this. Uh, so Strophe's uh, been raped by her own father. Uh, Theseus, Hippolytus innocent mother, oh mother, she dies. 
The first man pulls down Hippolytus's trousers. Woman two cuts off his genitals. Genitals. They are thrown onto the barbecue. The children cheer. <laughs> a child takes them off the barbecue and throws them at another child who screams and run away, much and runs away, much laughter. Someone retrieves them and they are thrown to a dog. Theseus takes the knife. He cuts Hippolytus from groin to chest. Hippolytus's bowels are torn out and thrown onto the barbecue. He is kicked and stoned and spat on. Hippolytus looks at the body of Strophe. Hippolytus, Strophe, Theseus, Strophe. Theseus looks cl uh, closely at the woman he has raped and murdered. He recognizes her with horror. When Hippolytus is completely motionless, the police who have been watching wade into the crowd, hitting them randomly. The crowd disperses with the exception of Theseus. Two policemen stand looking down at Hippolytus. Um, let's see here. I want to go all the way again. It's too good. Policeman one, poor bastard. Policeman two, you joking? He kicks Hippolytus hard. I've got two daughters. Policeman one, should move him. Policeman two, let him rot. Policeman two spits on Hippolytus. They leave. Hippolytus is motionless. Uh, Theseus is sitting by Strophe's body. Theseus, uh, I got the names wrong. Um, Hippolytus, son, I never liked you. To Strophe, I'm sorry. Didn't know what it what, Didn't know it was you. God forgive me. I didn't know. If I'd known it was you, I'd never have. To Hippolytus, you hear me. I didn't know. Theseus cuts his own throat and bleeds to death. The three bodies lie completely still. Eventually, Hippolytus opens his eyes and looks at the sky. Vultures, he says. He manages a smile. If there, could have, if there could have been more moments like this, he dies. A vulture Ooh. descends and begins to eat his body. <laughs> <laughs> love, love will tear us <laughs> apart again. I mean, whoa, whoa doggy. Yeah, yeah yeah what is that if there could have been more moments like this that, that's an interesting mm, move that comes from earlier in the play where he's just so bored and so dead and oh, so okay. numb to everything and does not care for life or for death at one point he says life is too long uh i also think there's a metaphor in that too because that's why you come to that's why you come to the theater Right, come to the right, to right, see right. The right to see the violence and to see the cruelty, and of course, the vultures descending at the end are the audience. Yeah. Right, that's the vulture. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right, wow. So you have this like perfect metaphor. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and, and the dead kings on stage and all of it. It's yeah. it's got everything, and she's aware of the theatrical tradition that she's uh, disrupting or playing with. And um, yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, so that comes so, out the net. That comes out the next year after Blasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's wow. she's uh she's not um playing around, right? No, not at all. Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah. So uh, it it's not clear to me how that was received. Um, but she continues to have a career. Let me see. I have I have some um a few things on Fedra's love. I really like this play. I it's a fun fun read and the humor. Of of her work, this is the one that has the most, I think, open kind of humor. You can kind of um, see it being a little bit funny if it's played properly. Um, yeah. Yeah. The barbecuing is genitals. Um, all right. Let's see. <laughs> so we have Fedra's Love. Uh, 
Yeah, there are a few things she said about this. Um, directing this. The thing that I felt quite strongly about was that in lots of productions of Blasted, sometimes I was looking at the stage and I wasn't seeing exactly the images I had written. And so I thought that if I direct Phaedra's love myself, there's no one to blame. If the image doesn't happen, it's completely my own fault. And I find out how difficult it is. And it turned out to be a lot easier than you would think it is. I mean, you write something like, his bowels are torn out. And that seems an incredibly difficult thing to do. But actually, audiences are really willing to believe something is happening if you give them the slightest suggestion that it is. That's a good insight into plays and playwriting, for sure. Mm -hmm. And to drama. People are hung people are the vulture. They're hungry for the drama. Uh, right. she also, yeah. She also said, um, on the sort of poetics and Greek tragedy, I wanted to keep the classical concerns of Greek theater, love, hate, death, revenge, suicide, but use a completely contemporary urban poetry. I see the writing as poetic, not just verse. Uh, so I think that's quite interesting. You can sort of hear mm -hmm. the, the poetry. Um, and one more about this play. Um, so this is the idea of the convention of Greek tragedy representing violence offstage. I mean, if you're not going to see what happens, why not stay at home? Why pay 10 pounds to not see it? The reported deaths in Seneca are incredibly strongly written, conjuring the image really well. But personally, I'd rather have an image right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's really fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. yeah. I have to. And now I want to talk a little bit about her. This is very important. This is about her own inner life and Christianity, right? So here's what she says. Uh, hard to believe I know, but I was a fervent, born-again, charismatic, spirit-filled Christian. In a sense, it's what Phaedra's love is about. Like Hippolytus, I committed the unforgivable sin, which is knowing that God is real and consciously deciding to reject him. I believed in God, but not the lifestyle that Christianity demanded. I knew a lot of Christians who I thought were fundamentally bad people, and a lot of non-Christians who I thought were utterly beautiful, and I couldn't understand that. So I made a conscious decision to reject God, and gradually my beliefs subsided. According to the Bible, I am now utterly damned. The point in Fedra's love is that if you're not sure God exists, you can cover your ass. Uh, living your life just in case as the priest does, or you can live your life as you want to live it. If there is a God who, uh, who can't accept the honesty of that, then well, tough. Wow. So that's quite intense. I mean, yeah, that is, that's uh yeah. Huh? Yeah. That's, that's a little different than just being like, yeah, I don't really see the argument. Yeah. I'm not God. really, I don't think that there's a God. She, she clearly felt strongly about it. And um, I wouldn't doubt that that feeling of being damned may have, she was, she was clinically depressed, but this was a, sure. a very, but th there's also where if you're already damned, like might as well go all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Right. <laughs> if you're going to get in trouble from mom and dad the next day, you might as mm. well have a good time. Go hard thing. Yeah. Go hard. Yeah. Well, so, uh, I'm going to save the, some of this business, uh, about violence. Um, until later, although a couple of more things, or one more thing on Fedra's love, uh, and then and then the bleakness quote uh, for Fedra's love. She said, 
on the violence in that play, we made a decision that I would try to do the violence as realistically as possible. If it didn't work, then we'd try something else. But that was a starting point to see how it went. The very first time we did the final scene with all the blood and the false bowels, by the end, we were all severely traumatized. All the actors were standing there covered in blood, having just raped and slit their throats. And then one of them said, this is the most disgusting play I've ever been in. And he walked out. But because of the work we'd done before, all of us knew that that point was reached because of a series of emotional journeys that had been made. So none of us felt it was unjustified. It was just completely unpleasant. Wow. (laughs) All right. Back to, back to the second of five quotes about the, the bleakness of her work. Um, here's what she had to say. My plays certainly exist within a theatrical tradition, though not many people would agree with that. I'm at the extreme end of the theatrical tradition, but they are not about other plays. They are not about methods of representation. On the whole, they are about love and about survival and about hope. And to me, that is an extremely different thing. Um, you know, what she's talking about there too, is this at that period in film, like her equivalent would probably be Tarantino. Right. Sure. And she would make the point that, uh, one, she wanted the right plays that could only be plays. I want to make plays Mm -hmm. that are not going to be adapted. I don't ever want to sell the rights. These are plays that have got to be done in the theater. And I admire that, uh, greatly. But also that she did make the point at one, you know, at some juncture that, you know, Tarantino's movies are about movies, right? Every shot is a reference to some other movie or, or, you know, if not directly, then sort of in in an indirect way. Her plays were not about plays. Her plays were original worlds, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and sort of live on their own. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what's your where, where are you sitting with Sarah Kane now, Brad? I know I'm throwing a lot at you. No, I, I'm she's, just, she's, yeah. uh, I'm I'm on her I'm on her team, man. Like, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It, there's, yeah, you 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 see these two plays, and it's like, what? I mean, what is she going to do next? Right? It's like yeah. the the one thing I almost get worried about in terms of like a lifelong artistic project for somebody like this is like when you've sort of blown all the doors off. Well, then what do you do? <laughs> Right. It's, it's sort of hard to imagine Sarah Kane getting a real estate license and selling right. homes. Right. Well, yeah. And then there's, the thing, there's the, thing, the thing too is, you know, she's going to develop a, uh, an audience and a fan base or whatever, uh, you know, people who come to see her plays. And especially being young, well, she seems like she's got so much artistic integrity and so much self-possession. I mean, at least in what she produces. I don't know about in her personal life, but... Um, yeah, you would think, I mean, you do that at 22 or 23, you have this big hit. There might be a tendency to just be like, well, I'll just keep giving them what they want, I guess. Yeah. You know, like that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what they want. So, all right, well, what are we, what kind of vulnerable human being are we going to eat in the next play? Like, Mm. you you know, you could see yourself (laughs) falling into that kind of, and and so I, I almost feel like a little worried about her 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 artistic career at this point that she could get kind of pigeonholed yeah. into doing yeah. something that might not allow her to grow the way that she clearly could because she's clearly brilliant yeah that's very it's very insightful uh brad very insightful well so i think it's important just to pause and talk a little bit about her personal life because we're, we are moving very quickly um 
she's, she struggled with severe depression for many years. And this is something that I really um, have a hard time. Hmm, how do I say this? I, I can empathize with it. I have a hard time understanding um, someone with like this level of greatness and this amount of talent um, suffering that much from, from depression. Um, like, and I understand that it's chemical and I'm not judging mm-hmm. anything, but it's this case of like, you're so brilliant. Like, can't right. somebody reach through all yeah. that pain yeah. and reassure you that no, we need, we need yeah. Sarah Kane and you're getting, live. and you and, and in this case, you're getting applauded for it. Right. Yeah. Like, right. you know, there's a certain sense when you see an artist who is talented and dedicated and they, they hit a certain age and nothing ever happened where it's like, yeah, that, that's a bummer. Yeah. Right. You're, yeah, you're <laughs> you know? should be maybe a little depressed. You've written yeah, your fourth play and it's sitting in a, in, a, in your closet and nobody cares. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's tough. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really, I can't word what I'm trying to say. It's just this, there is this um, angst over a life like this, which I think is, justified. And in any case, um, she was admitted to the Maudsley Hospital in London in, in Camberwell uh, twice voluntarily um, over the years. And uh, yeah, used to live right over there for a little bit. Um, oh, right on. She yeah. took uh, antidepressants reluctantly. Um, her agent, Mel Kenyon, that's the agent, um, said that Kane told her she didn't like taking pills because they numbed her response to the world, mm-hmm. which is, of course, what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But as an artist, it's extraordinarily difficult if your responsive level is made less intense. What do you do? Take pills and take yeah. away the despair. But despair also engenders knowledge in some way, and that knowledge fuels your understanding of the world and therefore your writing. But at the same time, you want to exercise the despair she tried to weigh it up all the time. So she was measuring, do I, it's almost a cliche, right? Like, do I take these pills, uh, you know, in order to, to function and to live and to not want to kill myself? Or do I, you know, lean harder into the intensity of my own work and my own writing? Right. Um, right. That's a, that's, a, that's a hard bargain to make. Yeah. So yeah. that's what's on the table right now. Um, you know, for her. So it's, it's no joke, no joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So we'll move on to the, um, to the third play. Uh, well, actually there's another note on depression here. Um, she was talking about Fedra's love, uh, how the play deals with the theme of depression. And she said about this, um, through being very, very low comes an ability to live in the moment because there isn't anything else. What do you do if you feel the truth is behind you? Many people feel depression is about emptiness, but actually it's about being so full that everything cancels itself out. You can't have faith without doubt. And what are you left with when you can't have love without hate? Oof. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a poet, a yeah, poet. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and wrestling with, and wrestling with like, yeah, the biggest the biggest questions and conundrums and paradoxes of, of being a person, right? Without a yeah. doubt, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's um, 
got this residency at Payne's Payne's Plow. She she had the very pro- provocative blasted. She's done her adaptation of a classic, uh, and now she's going to turn herself to a new play. And the play is called uh, Cleansed. Uh, and <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about Cleansed. Uh, it premiered at the court downstairs in 1998. So the bigger theater, right? So this nice. is the court really saying, this is the real deal here. We're, we're taking her off the, Christ, the Christmas, New, you know, New Year's rotation upstairs. She's coming to play in the majors now, right? I mean, that's yeah. sort of what the gate is. It's not an ori- you know, this is an original play, her second original play, not adapted. Um, and it was at the time, the most expensive production in the court's history. Uh, and that's because there are some really impossible stage directions here. Uh, at one point, she says that the stage suddenly becomes covered in flowers. I think it's daffodils. So you have to do this, right? Right. Um, yeah. Now, she claimed that the play was inspired from reading uh, a part of Roland Barthes' work, A Lover's Discourse, where he says the situation of a rejected lover is not unlike the situation of a prisoner in Dachau. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the stage direct, and this is where Tinker comes back as this awful, horrific, um, sadistic doctor who is, <laughs> and that's, that's a shout out to Tinker, the, um, the critic. Very funny. Right, right. Um, so it's set in a university, but it's more of a, like a torture chamber or a concentration camp overseen by the sadistic tinker. Uh, it places a young woman and her brother, um, a disturbed boy, a gay couple, and a peep show dancer all are in this world of extreme cruelty in which declarations of love are tested. Um, there's this iconic scene between the, the two gay lovers where the one wants... an admission of love your love is going to be forever and the other says don't make me lie to you you know don't make me lie to you but i love you now this is what we have um and the play pushes the limits of the theater there's a stage direction that says a sunflower pushes through the floor and grows above their heads and another stage direction says the rats carry carl's feet away um That's, that's uh yeah fun yeah, yeah. fun what's that what are the people the, the name of the the people who build the sets there's like a there's like a industry name grips the designers or designers uh, yeah i just i just yeah. imagine sitting in the back room be it just like smoking <laughs> cigarettes and just being like i i don't know how we're gonna... yeah 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 well you know and again they're saying uh you know sometimes claimed that tinker was named after the three theater critic for the daily mail um but there does not appear to be any evidence of Kane confirming this. I'm going to say it's named after him. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, come on. She's so yeah. far. She's had like what? 10 characters total. And the one yeah, is yeah, Tinker. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, look, so the play is set in a university operating as an institution designed to rid society of its undesirables, where a group of inmates try to save themselves through love while under the rule of the sadistic Tinker. Um, yeah. Very intense. And uh, Simon Kane, who is the um, executor of her estate, um, so remarked like her br- that her brother, her, her brother, yeah, her okay. brother, yeah. Uh, claimed that overseas, many people think that Cleansed is her best play. Um, okay. I'm yeah. not going to go through the entire um, 
synopsis. Um, but I'm going to go through it's there's a lot here. I have it in front of me right now. Uh, it's, it's, it's extremely violent. Uh, at one point, I believe it's Carl, the character who's sort of methodically being tortured over the course of the play has his tongue torn out, um, you know, on stage, uh, there, the, this business about like having a pole shoved up your, uh, that's, that's here. It's just extremely, um, brutal and, um, and dark. And it, it, it just, yeah. it reaches to sort of the, the depths of, of what's possible in terms of the stage. And, um, let me see here. So I'm just going to read scene eight real quick. A patch of mud just inside the perimeter fence of the university. It is raining. The sound of football match of a football match in progress on the other side of the fence. A single rat scuttles between Rod and Carl. Rod, baby, Carl looks at Rod. He opens his mouth. No sound comes out. Rod, you have watched them crucify me. Carl tries to speak. Nothing. He beats the ground in frustration. He scrabbles around in the mud and begins to write while Rod talks. Carl's had his tongue cut out. Um, Rod, and the rats eat my face. So what? I'd have done the same, only I never said I wouldn't. You're young. I don't blame you. Don't blame yourself. No one's to blame. Tinker is watching. He lets Carl finish what he is writing, then goes to him and reads it. He takes Carl by the arms and cuts off his hands. Right? Tinker leaves. Carl tries to pick up his hands. He can't. He has no hands. Rod goes to Carl. He picks up the severed uh, left hand and takes off the ring he put there. He reads the message message written in the mud. Say you forgive me. He puts on the ring. I won't lie to you, Carl. The rat begins to eat Carl's right hand. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're dealing... This is kind of like a nightmare. Well, I guess Blasted did too. There's a nightmarish quality to this, Mm -hmm. right? There's there's like a a logic to it that is, Mm -hmm. is... feels inescapable and would be would be unsettling to watch i think if if there was any suspension of disbelief as an audience member at all yeah yeah right so um here's some of the things that are said about it so she said that she started writing cleanse before blasted was even staged took her three years to finish the play. Mark Ravenhill, who's a famous playwright, said, Kane told me she wrote Cleansed when she was in love and that the play was not written by a person who knew she would commit suicide. Um, hmm. Kane sent a draft of the play to Edward Bond, who's a heavy duty playwright. Um, Bond sent a letter to Kane in 97 and he wrote, he uh, he suspected that cleansed is even more powerful than blasted because it takes any two or three minutes of blasted and subjects them to great pressure. Uh, yeah. The play was commissioned very quickly. Um, yeah. By the court. Mm. She, mm-hmm. this is important. So she claimed she had written cleansed as a play that would only work as a piece of theater and could not be adapted to other dramatic mediums. Quoting, I made the deliberate decision to write something that couldn't be film or television. Some people will argue that it can't be theater either, but I want, <laughs> I want to stretch the theatrical language. Theater might not be hip and cool, 
but at least Sarah, your, your theater is sipping cool, yeah. but at least wherever you are. Um, but at least there isn't any direct censorship and you're, you're never going to have that with film or TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Bam. that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. Yep. She, I think it was, uh, she directed a production of Wojciech at the gate in Notting Hill in 97. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she claims that she based the structure of cleanse on Wojciech. I don't know how, how true or not that is, but I would take her at her word. Okay. Um, so, I mean, there's just a ton of stuff in here. It's 12th night. It's the ghost sonata. It's the trial Kafka, um, Orwell, 1984. It's all there. Um, very, very difficult um, play. Um, this is quite intense. She stated that she based the character of Robin in the play on a young black man who was on Robin Island with Mandela. He was 18 years old. He was put on Robin Island and told he was going to be there for 45 years. It didn't mean anything to him because he was illiterate. Didn't mean a thing. 45 years, I had no clue. Nelson Mandela and some of huh. the other prisoners taught him to read and write. He learned to count realized what 45 years meant and hung himself. That's so she was wow. pulling from, wow. Um, yeah. Pulling from true stories. Uh, and um, yeah. So yeah, apparently, <sighs> yeah. Apparently cleansed was going to be the second part of a loose trilogy on the subject of war that, that began with blast. Okay. So blasted. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's more, so she said the link between blasted and cleansed is thematic rather than narrative yeah. uh, for the simple reason that everyone at the end of blasted is dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that yeah. makes it, that makes it true. Yeah. You just do a prequel. Yeah. Get it out a prequel. Yeah. There you go. Right. Oh yeah. Don't even get effects. me started about like uh, the, the yeah. many saints of Newark. Oh my God. Yeah. The, oh no. It should. Oh Jesus. <laughs> um, oh. Right. Don't, well, how uh, how would it have been? Yeah, good, sure. Honestly. How do you how, yeah. how do you really feel, Kevin? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she was gonna, you know. So let's see. So the trilogy will eventually amount to three responses to war. However, that uh, she then said to the interviewer, "I've changed my mind about what the trilogy is about." Just in that second, they are not about war at all, but about faith, hope, and love in the context of war. Blasted is about hope. Cleansed is about love. Scrap the bit before the war. It suddenly become clear to me. It's not about war. It's about what's happening in and around this stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny. Uh, according to Simon Kane, um, she only wrote a very rough first draft of the um, third in the trilogy. It was going to be called Viva Death. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So... Oh, Sarah. I know, right? Intense. Yeah. We love you. Yeah. yeah. We love you, but we're, we're worried about you. Yeah, right. Yeah. How are things at home? Yeah. <laughs> I can't said that before. The play is notable for its many difficult to achieve stage directions, which have been described as impossible. Examples include Tinker produces a large pair of scissors and cuts off Carl's tongue. A sunflower bursts through the floor and grows above their heads. The rats carry Carl's feet, uh, feet away. You know, fun. Um, so... I have a few other things about this and then we will move on. And uh, you, you feel, you feel like you need uh, maybe a little bit of a, I might need to be cleansed after all of this. There's a, there's a certain quality of just like, Oh, geez. yeah. I'll probably before bed tonight, I'll probably watch like a couple dumb TikToks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hang out with the talk. Um, yeah. So let's see. 
here's something she said about uh, cleansed. I was having a particular sort of fit about all of this naturalistic rubbish which was being produced. And I decided I wanted to write a play that could never be turned into a film or shot for television or turned into a novel. The only thing that could ever be done with it was that it could be staged. Believe it or not, that play was cleansed. And then on the theme of love, if you want to write about extreme love, you can only write about it in an extreme way. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. So I suppose both blasted and cleansed are about distressing things, which we'd like to think we would survive. If people could still love after that, then love is the most powerful thing. When I was working on cleansed, I was in a very extreme state. I was going through the most appalling depression, and it was about that. But then on the other hand, I was so completely, utterly, and madly in love that those two things didn't seem to be any contradiction at all. These days it does. Sometimes when I read Cleansed, it's like it's by another writer. I, as I am now, could not write it. But it was never about the violence. It was about how much these people love. I think Cleansed, more than any of my other plays, uses violence as a metaphor. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, based on our interrogation of it, I, I, can, I can see that, yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. Hmm. So she was deeply, deeply in love. And um, when you lose the object of love, she said, you have none of the normal resources to fall back on. It can completely destroy you. And very obviously, concentration camps are about dehumanizing people before they are killed. I wanted to raise some questions about these two extreme and apparently different situations. Yeah. 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 Talking about the... Um, the meaning of the ritual dis dismemberment dismemberment. But for me, it's not about someone writing down how much he loves someone. So he gets his hands chopped off. It's not about the actual chop. It's about the person no longer being able to express love with his hands. And what does that mean? I think the less naturalistically you show these things, the more likely people are to be thinking, what does this mean? Right. So I can really, see that she's mm -hmm. getting some like theatrical distance from it to, to yeah. kind of hold it out there as a, yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to read the third of five uh, comments on bleakness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> awesome. Um, through being very, very low comes an ability to live in the moment because there isn't anything else. What do you do if you feel the truth is behind you? Many people feel depression. I already read this, but I'm going to read it again. Many people feel depression is about emptiness, but actually it's about being so full that everything cancels itself out. You can't have faith without doubt. And what are you left with uh, when you can't have love without hate? So I already read that once before, but I think it's quite good. Um, so this is a, you know, this is an intense person who's feeling things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, so let's, and, you know, and we're moving forward in time here too. So we're getting into um, the, the later 90s here. And we're going to get on to her, her fourth play. It's the final play that was done in her lifetime. So um, Crave, as soon as you see it, doesn't look like the other plays um, on the page. It's... If you, if you get a copy of this play, it's literally four characters, or it's four, it calls for four actors, and their names are simply C, M, B, and A. That's it. C, huh, M, okay. B, and A. And in that interview that I, that I mentioned, um, the YouTube interview, 
she talks about the A standing for, among other things, Aleister Crowley. Um, huh. Also, anarchy. The M stands for mother. Um, you know, A also stands for author. I can't remember what they all stand for, but it's this strange structure for a play. And I'm just going to read, just to give you an idea of what this is. Um, can you, I don't know if you can hear the paper uh, crinkling. Oh, yeah. Just it's, gonna very, read. So, it's very yeah, setting in the ambiance. Yeah, 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 in the theater of the mind. So it's just this. C, you're dead to me. B, my will reads, fuck this up and I'll haunt you for the rest of your fucking life. C, he's following me. A, what do you want? B, to die. C, somewhere outside the city, I told my mother you're dead to me. B, no, that's not it. C, if I could be free of you without having to lose you. A, sometimes that's not possible. M, I keep telling people I'm pregnant. They say, how did you do it? What are you taking? I say, I drank a bottle of port, smoked some fags and fucked a stranger. B, all lies. C, he needs to have a secret, but he can't help telling. He thinks we don't know. Believe me, we know. And this goes on and on. And um, huh. the, the article here is saying there was a change of critical opinion with this play. This was presented at Payne's Plow. Uh, by Payne's Plow at the Traverse Theater in Edinburgh in 98. Uh, this was performed under the pseudonym of Marie Kelvedon. So she did not release this play as um, oh. Sarah Kane. Yeah. She didn't want, um, you know, she didn't want her reputation to come with it. So... Wow, that is interesting. I mean, gosh, yeah. you're 26 yeah. or five mm -hmm. or whatever, and you've already yeah. got to like, yeah, jeez, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, obviously a lyrical writing style inspired by the Bible and the wasteland, four characters named after the uh, alphabet. Um, and uh, presumably the critics started to turn around here based on that. Um, the gender of the characters are only identifiable from the context of the play. Um, it's a huge stylistic departure. Uh, mm. This is funny. So her middle name was Marie and it was based on, Kelvin was based on the village of Kelvin Hatch where she grew up. She put mm. this fictitious biography in the po program notes. Marie Kelvin is 25. She grew up in Germany in British forces accommodation and returned to Britain at 16 to complete her schooling. She was sent down from St. Hilda's College, Oxford, after her first term for an act of unspeakable Dadaism in the college dining hall. She has <laughs> she's had her short unspeakable Dadaism. Dadaism. Uh, <laughs> she is... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, the unspeakable Sarah Kane. <laughs> Do you like that more than the that's, that's not bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I think we got our title, so we'll call yeah. it the unspeakable Sarah Kane. Um, she's had her short stories published in various European literary magazines and has a volume of poems, uh, Anzuver Impure, published in Belgium and Holland. Her Edinburgh Fringe Festival de debut was in 1996, a spontaneous happening through a serving hatch to an audience of one. Since leaving Holloway, she has worked as a minicab driver, a roadie with the Manic Street Preachers, and as a continuity announcer for BBC Radio World Service. She now lives in Cambridgeshire with her cat, Gritowski. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you, Manic Street Preachers are amazing. If you don't know Manic Street Preachers, you got to listen to the, the album, The Holy Bible. So it doesn't yeah, surprise sure. me that she was mentioning them. Um, 
Bjork references uh, or has lyrics called An Echo, A Stain on, Vest, on the album Vespertine based on this play. Um, oh, huh. Yeah. So, right. Here's what she says about A, B, C, and M. They have very specific meanings. Um, I am prepared to tell you, which is A was, A is many things, which is author, abuser, because they are, they are the same mm. thing, author and abuser. Alistair is an Alistair Crowley who wrote some interesting books, which some of <laughs> you might like to read. Antichrist. My brother came up with Our Soul, which I thought was quite good. And there was also the actor who I originally wrote it for who was called Andrew. So that's how A oh. came about. M was yeah, simply, if yeah. you're Andrew, that's got to be nice to see that. I feel that little yeah. nod. Asshole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Antichrist. Yeah. Antichrist. Yeah, oh, and me. Oh, yeah, I'm in I, there too. Yeah, that's cool. cool. Yeah, some actors, man. <laughs> it can, yeah, it can be real. Yeah. Um, M was simply mother, B was boy, and C was child. Uh, okay. but I didn't yeah. want to write those things down because then I thought they, they'll get fixed in those things forever and never, ever change. So we're, do you see that we are, we are ripping the form apart? We are doing something differently. Yeah. Yeah. Seen, she's, mm-hmm. she's getting, she's working herself up to like not have anything left, right? Like destroy the form. And then it's like at some point, Yeah. But anyway, we'll get there because I want to. I'm curious. This might be an interesting one of the more interesting. What is she doing? What would she be doing now? It's it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. 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 Um, The play does have the dark themes, though, right? Rape, incest, pedophilia, anorexia, drug, drug addiction, mental instability, murder, and suicide. It has. She's playing all the hits again. Right. right? right. We're back for more. Um, With uh, with uh, Crave, and what a what a great name for a play. I have my. I have to get my yeah, book absolutely. here. One moment. Here it is. I've got so many papers. Um, <laughs> let's see. Can you tell I had a, a time working on this one, Brad? Yeah, man. There was some digging. You just, yeah, you did some digging. That's great. Yeah. Oh, it's so, paying off. This is this is enthralling. Yeah. So I mean, she found a copy of Fassbinder's. Paradise, sorry now, which I started to read. I don't know what that is, but she had the idea for it. She had a 20-minute version after three days of writing, did a reading at lunchtime, and she realized how much farther she could go with the musicality of it. Um, we're talking about the first British, British product, uh, production. Vicki Featherstone, the director, has done everything in her power to make it a performance in the true sense of the word. For me, watching the actors perform is a little like watching Man U. When they fly, they take off together. And when they don't, the collapse is truly ensemble. (laughs) Um, This is quite good. Um, We also had a nasty injury scare. During the second preview, Paul Hickey, who played B, had to stop the performance due to sudden paralysis on one side of his face. Whoa. The entire company was aghast, fearing he'd had a stroke. The doctor assured us it was merely hyperventilation, overacting, caused by the ludicrous demand, demand set by my text and Vicky's insistence on performance. But it's only by making such demands that there's a chance of accurate expression of ideas and emotion and direct intellectual, emotional, and physical contact with the needs of the audience. She's talking like somebody who's uh, an old madam of the stage. Yeah, right. With, right. with like- so much command and and assuredness um, 
it's just yeah, incredible. I, I, I guess I, that is, that's a really good point. I guess I was expecting when we started digging into this because of her age, I, I was expecting it to be her perspective to be a little more primal than, mm. than this, you know, just like, yeah. you know, just raw nerve emotionality, which is maybe where some of it was, some of it was some of what she was drawing on. But yeah, she does seem like she, she understands the medium inside and out. It's pretty fascinating. Well, I have to, um, I have, I have to read a few more paragraphs about her thinking on this. And this has to do with uh, the lack of optimism. She said, I think Crave, where there is no physical hope whatsoever, it's a very silent play, is the most despairing of the things I've written so far. At some point, somebody says, something has lifted. And from that moment on, it becomes apparently more and more hopeful. But actually, all the characters have given up. It's the first one of my plays in which people go, F this, I'm out of here. Crave was written during the process of ceasing to have faith in love. And it's odd that at that stage, I seemed to write something that was less violent and maybe ultimately less depressing for other people. The way the play was received surprised me, as it was said to be extremely positive in tone. Uh, My previous work was called Very Despairing, but there was a ray of hope, some people felt. But for me, this play is about despair and suicide. It was written at a time when I felt quite despairing. That is probably the reason why. And then, yeah. She, huh. she does say that um, she has no intention. <laughs> there's, a, there's a line, a sequence where she gives a series of numbers and she says, uh, none of you knows what they mean. I'm the only person that knows besides the actors and I have no intention of telling anyone what it means. <laughs> so I can't possibly expect to ever see the same production twice. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we are, we are rapidly ap- approaching... Um, the uh, the conclusion of of this part of Sarah Kane. Um, obviously, I hope people will stick around for the the little episode at the end uh, from from Patreon. Yeah. Um, let me see here. We got to we got to keep doing the bleakness business. Um, four yeah, or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see what she has to say. All right. I didn't find my own plays depressing or lacking in hope but then I am someone whose favorite band is Joy Division because I find their songs uplifting. To create something beautiful about despair or out of a feeling of despair is for me the most hopeful life-affirming thing a person can do because the expression of that despair is part of the struggle against it, the attempt to negate it. So Mm. she finds beauty in wrestling with these demons. Right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, and she's going and and her... uh, her approach is to go right at them too, mm. right? There's, there's mm. no, there's no dancing around them. There's no, uh, yeah. Uh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> we're in the early part of, uh, 1999. Um, and, uh, we've reached the, um, the obituary we knew was coming. Uh, let me grab one from the independent. This is, this is from Mark Ravenhill, one of her contemporaries. Um, I'll just read a few paragraphs of this. Uh, Sarah Kane was a contemporary writer with a classical sensibility who created a theater of great moments of beauty and cruelty, a theater to which it was only possible to respond with a sense of awe. 
Hers was a sensibility that Shakespeare or Sophocles or Racine would have recognized, but that was often abrasive for a modern audience and, it seems, incomprehensible to most, most critics. For those used to the reassurances of sociology or psychology in plays, the austere beauty of Kane's work was a shock to the, to the system. He, he goes on to talk more about um, her work here. Um, he really gives a quite a good summary of her her work. If you if you're interested in a more comprehensive obit, you can read this one. Um, who is this? This is that's uh, Mark Raven. Was? Mark Ravenhill. Okay, he's like yeah. a, he's another playwright. Yes, another yeah. playwright. Yeah. Um, so this is from the New York Times. Um, Sarah Kane, a provocative playwright whose bleak view of the limitations of human relationships and graphic dramatizations of violence and sex earned her a reputation as an enfant terrible of the British theater, died on Saturday at King's College Hospital here. She was 28. She was found hanged in her room at the hospital where she was being treated for depression, friends said. The police said they considered the case uh, a suicide. Mm. Um, so getting, uh, I guess, directly um, into what happened and then talking about the, the posthumous play, um, uh, which is called 448 Psychosis. Um, let's see here. How is uh, that stylized? Is it like 448 The Time? Yeah, 448 okay. The Time. And that comes yeah. from uh, the time that she would wake up during her depression. Um, ah. and, uh, so in the Sleep, early, she's mm-hmm. sleeping in. Yeah. 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 No, 448 AM. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, they use military time over there. No, I'm kidding. Um, in the early hours of the, of the 17th of February, 1999, Kane in her Brixton flat attempted suicide by taking 50 sleeping pills and over 150 antidepressant tablets, 200 pills. All right. Her yeah. Flat, yeah. That should do it. Right. I mean, right. That's wow. That's Her, not even, that's not even cry for help level. That's, no, that's, that's yeah. real. Yeah. 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 Um, her flatmate, David Gibson found a suicide note. I think the note was very brief. I think the note was quite literally, I have killed myself. Um, wow. She was definitely did not like to mince words. Um, yeah. uh, you know, don't enter my room. Uh, you know, mm. I killed myself. He entered her room she was unconscious. She, she was taken to King's College Hospital, resuscitated. Psychiatrists assessed her. Um, she was intending to kill herself. She was surprised and upset she had not succeeded. Um, she said she had no intention of killing herself while she remained at the hospital. But in abstract terms, she said that at some point she would certainly kill herself. Um, she was detained. She was admitted to the Brunel Ward. Um, it was a general ward, not psychiatric and her agent visited her, um, Mel Kenyon. She told Kenyon her suicide by overdose had been unsuccessful because she had eaten pizza, which is kind of, it's kind of a funny little anecdote. Um, it's just, I, uh, if only I had not eaten that pizza, I would have succeeded, um, in meeting all of my, meeting all of my characters, right? Um, jeez. Yeah, she recalled that when she visited Kane, Kane was extraordinary. She looked happy, healthy. She was very funny. See the pizza comment, right? You know, maybe not getting the the, the humor, but like I, it's there. It's gallows humor. She was very yeah. funny. Oh yeah, no, I think yeah. She was brimming with self confidence. Um, her agent took her two hundred cigarettes 
which that's a good agent. That's what I want out of my agent. I want my agent to bring me <laughs> yeah, right. cigarettes uh, after the suicide attempt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't judge hospital. me. Just give yeah. me what I need. Just, yeah. Give me what I need. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and so the, the agent's saying, we talked about everything under the sun. They did talk about suicide. We did talk about God. We did talk about plays. We did talk about friendship. And then after I'd given her the, the fags, I just kissed her on her forehead and said, I love you. And she said, I love you too. Mm. And that was the last time I saw her. <sighs> and so she, uh, had hanged herself with her own shoelaces from the hook on the inside of the toilet door. Jeez. Said she, she probably died within three minutes. <sighs> so we could spend a, a ton of um, time on this. Um, obviously, uh, very, very mixed reactions. Um, her agent said, I don't think she was depressed. It was deeper than that. I think she felt something more like existential despair, which is what makes many artists tick. Mm -hmm. Anthony Nielsen, a playwright, wrote in a letter saying, no one in despair ticks. Uh, <laughs> truth didn't kill her. Lies did. The lies of worthlessness and futility whispered by an afflicted brain. Mm -hmm. um, he suggested, this writer Nielsen, that uh, her depression was caused by tides of chemicals that crashed through the brain. And um, far from enhancing her talents, these neurological storms waste time narrow vision and lead us here to that most tragic, most selfish action. So there's this tension here because here you have a, the, one of the greatest living playwrights, certainly, yeah. yeah, one of the greatest living playwrights, she's just killed herself. So it's this sort of terrible problem, you know, um, a man named Paul Gordon wrote an essay called, um, or that said, the title was, you don't have to be suicidal to be an artist and it doesn't help. So you've got this problem of like, right you know, this mythology, she's nearly in the 27 club, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just this like, and then you've got to watch out for this like awful romantic idea of the glorious suicide as an artist. And I don't, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, how do you, I mean, that, you know, it reminds me, we opened this with mm -hmm. a reference to Joy Division. I mean, Ian Curtis went out in very much the same way. Yeah. Actually a little younger. Um, the lead singer of Joy Division right. um, had tried to kill himself and I don't remember the details and this isn't an Ian Cur Curtis episode but uh, you know, tried to kill himself, it hadn't worked and ended up hanging himself very brief note um, yeah, yeah and similar like a, a unexpected rise to sudden notoriety was yeah. was part of his career as well. So well, we'll have to do an Ian Curtis episode. We might. We might have like to. You might. Yeah. You might be on point for that, Brad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Harold Pinter, who knew Kane, which he would be the the top dog at the time uh, in terms of English playwriting. One of them. Yeah. Absolutely. If not that, I, yeah. Um, he said he was not surprised to hear the news. She talked about it a great deal. She just said it was on the cards, you know. And I had to say, "Come on, for God's sake!" I remember a line in her play, Crave death is my lover and he wants to move in. That's quite a line, isn't it? Whoa. Yeah. She felt man's inhumanity to man so profoundly. I believe that's what finally killed her. She couldn't stand the bloody thing anymore. Pinter spoke at Kane's memorial and is reported to have just said the following four words. She was a poet. Hmm. <laughs> um, <sighs> yeah. Wow. I mean, and, and what a thing, I mean, you're, you're hanging out with Pinter. You're talking about suicide. Like, goodness. 
Um, now, winding down here, um, we absolutely have to pause to just think um, how how intense this is. Uh, she's killed herself. There's one final play, right? Um, right, ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. And we're gonna we're gonna stage this at at the Royal Court Theater, and the play is called. 448 psychosis. She completed it shortly before she died. It premiered at the court in 2000. It's her shortest, most fragmented work. There's no plot. There's no character. There isn't mm-hmm. even any indication how many actors are meant to play it. Wow. Um, and fellow playwright, David Grieg, um, her friend too, he said it's the subject is the psychotic mind and uh, the time derives from where she would frequently, frequently wake up in the morning for 48 psychosis. Um, and it's composed of 24 sections, no specified setting characters of stage directions um, only including lengths of silence. Um, it's dialogues, it's confessions, poetic monologues, um, and of course, you're, you're going to see, you could see this a thousand times and it's going to be done a thousand different ways. Mm, um, right. Yeah. That being that open. Yeah. I just grabbed a, a random page. Here it is. Grid yourselves for ye shall be broken in pieces. It shall come to pass. Behold the light of despair, the glare of anguish, and ye shall be driven to darkness. If there is blasting, there shall be blasting. The names of offenders shall be shouted from the rooftops. Fear God and his wicked convocation. A skull on my skin, a seethe in my heart, a blanket of roaches on which we dance, this infernal state of siege. All this shall come to pass, all the words of my noisome breath. Remember the light and believe the light. Christ is dead and the monks are in ecstasy. We are the abjects who dispose our leaders and burn incense unto Baal. Come now, let us reason together. Sanity is found in the mountain of the Lord's house on the horizon of the, of the soul that eternally recedes. The head is sick, the heart's call torn. Thread the ground on which wisdom walks. Embrace beautiful lies. The chronic insanity of the sane. The wrenching begins. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's one single page. I mean, we're dealing yeah. with, yeah, we're dealing with a great, 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 great so writer. In- no, it's a that's a it's an amazing passage. So, have you seen interpretations of this produced at all? I, I have mean, not. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm ashamed to say the one production of Sarah Kane's work I've seen was in London at the Soho Theater by a company I believe they're called Gray Eye that uses uh, differently abled actors, and okay. that was of uh, Blasted. Yeah. And the soldier was played by an actor who had no legs, and oh, so wow. when he emerged on stage, he was jacked. His upper body was jacked, right? <laughs> right. And, but, and he maneuvered around stage with his arms. Wow. And the stage was built so that he could maneuver around the stage. So it was extremely, it was one of the most affecting productions yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. 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 And, I, and the only reason I brought this up is I'm just curious how that particular passage would have been staged. And I could see doing it so many, yeah, I'm not a stage director, you know, this isn't my business, but 
I can just see doing that in so many different ways. And yeah, from, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, that, and what a beautiful thing. I mean, just to, by the end, to be such a great writer that you've completely stripped the form bare so that you're left with, um, with what, uh, what counts to you. Yeah. And she's elevated her, she's, she's elevated her language from fairly spare, um, extremely effective but fairly spare to to this and this is Mm. like this is like uh almost biblical in its (laughs) not that it's not not that it's overtly christian there's something there's something sacred about the language or it's calling to that in some way or or it's the photo negative of calling to that or something yeah 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 Yeah. i would encourage people if you're interested in any in any of this to read the work it's really amazing so um here's what she had to say on 448 psychosis i've just started to work on a new play awful isn't it yet another play which is about the split between one's consciousness and one's physical being For me, that's what madness is about. And the only way back to any kind of sanity is to connect physically with who you are emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. Um, I'm writing a play called 448 Psychosis. It's got similarities with Crave, but it's different. It's about a psychotic breakdown and what happens to the person's mind when the barriers which distinguish between reality and the forms of imagination completely disappear so that you no longer know the difference between your waking life and your dream life. Yeah. So that was what she was working on. And um, she went yeah, yeah, deep. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. Went she deep, went deep. Yeah. 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 I believe she uh. did. I believe she did say, you know, um, when she handed the plan, she left a note saying, you know, this killed me. Writing this killed me. <laughs> right, right. So um, I'm really, uh, I'm going to leave us here as we go with the, the adjustment in reception um, by the critical establishment, um, as evidenced by, by blasted, um, uh, the way that they responded to blasted later. So the initial performance was highly controversial. The play was fiercely attacked by most newspaper critics, many of whom regarded it as an attempt to shock the audience. However, critics have subsequently reassessed it. For example, Michael Billington, who savaged the play in his first review, later recanted in the wake of her suicide. He said, I got it wrong. As I keep saying, she was a major talent. Apparently, Harold Pinter said at her memorial service that she was a poet. And I think that's dead right. After seeing a revival of the play, uh, an evening standard reviewer, Annie Ferguson, wrote, how shrill and silly the 1995 hullabaloo and hysteria seemed last night when Blasted returned to the royal court. It is and always was a play with a fine moral purpose. Mm. Um, and the Independent listed it as one of the 40 best plays ever. Wow. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave us with um, a little more from her. Um, and this is something I feel very strongly about as well. Um, the need for theater, she said. I am convinced that the theater is part of the most fundamental of human needs. I believe that that if a city is destroyed by a bomb, the people, uh, first of all, look for food and shelter. And having provided these necessities, they start to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Um, Mm -hmm. One more para. 
For me, the function of the theater is to allow experimentation through art in a way that we are not able to experiment effect effectively in real life. If we experiment in the theater, such as an act of extreme violence, then maybe we can repulse it as such to prevent the act of extreme violence out on the street. I believe that people can change and that it is possible for us as a species to change our future. It's for this that I write what I write. Um, woo! Yeah. Whoa, yeah. doggy! All right, that and that is the unspeakable yeah. Sarah Kane, who put her Oof, stamp yeah, on thanks, the English theater, and for whom yeah. uh, the Germans, because she was adored in uh, in in Germany. Um, let's see exactly what what did they do? Um, in response to her death, there was a minute silence held on the radio in Germany, and the theaters in the in the country dimmed their lights as a mark of respect. She mm. had. I read somewhere years ago, she had something like a dozen different productions happening all at once, you know, 10 in Germany, a couple in, Eng in England. You're, you're happy as a, as a playwright now to have a production anywhere going on at any given time. Uh, right. So right. Wow. she, she had it all. And then she, she just couldn't take, uh, she couldn't take her own mind. And so um, mm. there we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah all right yeah. so we we do have a little more uh you know coming on the uh on the uh patreon episode it's uh patreon.com slash art of dark pod you can find us on the bird website twitter at art of dark pod brad's managing that we yeah. have fun with it uh, hope you enjoy this. We put a lot of effort into the episodes and a lot of uh soul i'm really excited uh, my next episode is going to be with the great Blauergeist. uh we're going to talk about Walt Disney. But before that, who do you, who do you have coming up? We, we went from dark to darker. <laughs> yes. The only thing darker than Sarah, Sarah Kane is Walt Disney. Truly. He's because you've got pure evil. Sarah Kane right. was wrestling with right. evil. Right. Disney. Sarah Kane had a pure heart, but yeah. was, had you know, was dealing with demons where it was Walt Disney might've uh, yeah. Yeah. summoned them. He made pals with them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Who are you doing next, Brad? <laughs> Uh, I am. Uh, we're going to have a pretty quick turnaround here. Actually, I am doing uh, Zora Neale Hurston, the great uh, novelist of the Harlem Renaissance and uh, folklorist and anthropologist and and just all around and, and voodoo uh, voodoo priestess, as we'll learn. So uh, this should be a good one, man. Mm. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, Brad. I got to ask you the final Art of Darkness question. What do you think Sarah Kane is doing today if she were still around? Well, yeah, this, this is one of the more, this, this is one of the most interesting ones to ask this question about because she died so young um, mm -hmm. and she was so close to our own um, cult, cultural, con I mean, I think she's maybe the closest to our cultural context. We've had people who died after her. Johnny Cash died in the 2000s, but he was an old man, right? Yeah. Um, and so he was, he was, you could feel he was from a previous era, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, you know. Sarah Kane's just a, was just a few years older than my brother for crying out loud, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, so you can kind of see it, but it's also interesting because like I said, like by the time she gets to 448 psychosis, she's, she's like rendered the form so much apart. Like, I don't even know what she, it was like, what did she have left? It's like, if you, if you destroy all of the foundations, then what are you standing on anymore? So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure she would have continued to create because she seems sort of she's possessed by that spirit. She's not going to just turn away from it. But 
I yeah. would be fascinated to see what her... It almost seems like they would become art installations slash performance art type pieces. And I don't mean that to dismiss it because a lot of that stuff can be kind of cringy. But like, mm. it almost seems like she would just continue continue turning that crank. I don't know. What do yeah. you think? <laughs> I like to believe that she would still be writing for the theater. I think that she yeah. was... Uh, at, interrogating it and wrestling with it. And I just think she lost her, her battle with whatever um, she was up against in there. And uh, I think that she possibly would have continued to write. She had such a clearly a command of it. And um, I think she'd be writing uh, for sure. And possibly directing. Yeah. Right. Right. It, yeah. That mm. seems like she might've gone deeper into that territory. It, I'm so impressed by anybody who can master, um, you know, like I said before, there's a lot of musicians who ma- seem to have mastered their craft in their twenties, but yeah, it's, it's pretty rare for a writer. It real there's, there's a handful. Oh yeah. Um, without a doubt. So it, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really impressed by that. Well, she had such a such a lyrical sensibility, right? And she had that poetic um, sense, which I think hopefully I communicated. So, Brad, thank you, thank you so much for being a partner in yeah, this. I really did. enjoyed these, man. This was a lot of fun. Oh, I hope yeah. people listening enjoy. Oh yeah, it was uh, great. You did. Yeah. You did a great Woo, job in that. Fun. And this yeah. is like one of the few. This is one of the few that, like, as a person I barely knew at all. So that oh, yeah. was, you know, that was kind of exhilarating for me. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. definitely pick up one of the plays. I mean, they're a quick read, and I think I will. you get an awful lot out of it in the theater of the mind. We're going to do another 20 or 30 minutes on the After Dark episode, which is for Patreon subscribers. You can find us at Art of Dark Pod on the Bird website and then uh, artofdarkpod.com. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Brad, try not to, on the way out, try. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, I'm gonna. Can I, is the vulture going to descend? Where I'm. I'm in the floorboards. <laughs> I've just eaten a baby, I'm, and yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm try not. Me. I'm gonna try not to eat a baby on my way out of the room. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> coming down on your head, Brad. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you in a minute. Yep. Sure. Yeah.